Hello, everybody, and welcome to All N. My name is Elite Beat Seth. And I'm F0G Eric. Who are you talking to, Seth? Come on, help me finish moving. It's not. No, dude, dude, it's time to do the show. All right. Uh, okay. Um, uh, just let me check that. Uh, news. Uh, okay. What did I miss? I mean, we, there are some things to cover in the news roundup, of course, but now that you mention it, we should probably spend some time talking about some recent Nintendo rumors. It's, it's kind of gotten a little out of hand. Yeah. Uh, no kidding. But, uh, I see what you're talking about here in the notes. Well, while I was driving, I certainly did have plenty of time to think about my top five Zelda games this week. It was difficult, but those dastardly Nintendo pals threw down the gauntlet, so we had to answer the call. Oh, yeah, and I can't wait to do that top five. I think our lists are going to be really interesting, but don't forget, man, we've also got an interview with Conrad Grinheim this week about his upcoming Paper Mario meets Undertale adventure game, The Outbound Ghost. And now that you're all settled... And and we're you know we finally got you moved down to Florida. Yeah. I I, th- I think it's time to do some interviews. <laughs> Sounds good. It's, it's been it's been a crazy week. I was the outbound Eric this past week. So glad <laughs> to be almost done with this move. And and honestly, now you've got me wondering if my new condo was haunted. I think I might need to grab some crystals or some holy water, burn some incense or something in here. Oh, dude. Okay. Well, while he's off doing that, I'm gonna go ahead and get the intro started, guys. It's time to go all in. Well, as always, we are here and happy to be with you today on All In and Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. But before we get into all the awesome things that we have in store this week, we do want to stop and talk about something serious for just a couple of seconds. We, of course, are aware of the ongoing lawsuit and the horrendous allegations that have been made against Activision Blizzard. Um, There is a complaint filed with the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, and there is an ongoing investigation going on um, with some hugely, uh, huge sexual harassment claims and just disgusting stuff in this 29-page filing. And if even half of it comes to light to be true, we obviously don't condone any of that. We don't support any sexual harassment or acts of sexism against female employees or anything of that nature. So we just, we, we felt it necessary to stop and and mention this. It's an ongoing investigation, but of course, I mean, these, these claims are awful and we, we don't support any of it, obviously. And we just, we wanted to make that extremely clear. I think that, you know, we, we love everybody here on the show. And I think we've made that abundantly clear throughout the course of our run. We try but, we we just you know we wanted to kind of put a you know put a flag in the ground a little bit and say like hey yes we're aware of this and if the things that are being alleged are are true then yeah it's it's disgusting and horrible and we we completely do not support it but um anyway n- now that we've kind of talked about that uh, we don't want to you know dwell on it too much it's a horrible thing and we'll definitely keep our eyes on the situation uh but man we we've got a lot to talk about you just got done with a big move. What's been uh, going on this week? Uh, well, I am in the process of finishing the big move. Yeah, it has been a pretty nuts week for me. I was not kidding last week when I said that, uh, you know, I, I basically spent all of last weekend 
make just taking everything that I own and making my way to Florida. I don't yeah. know whose bright idea it was to move into the middle of the Sunshine State, right in the, <laughs> in the middle of the, summer, the peak of summer. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's right. It was my idea. But <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been kind of nuts just getting down, getting everything moved in, getting my new condo set up, trying to get electricity and and water and uh, internet and, and everything just kind of taken care of. Anybody who's ever had to make a move, I've had to make way too many of them at this point. But anybody who's had to make a big move knows all the, you know, the minutia that's involved. And I have been drowning in minutia for several days now. So I'm very happy to be able to sit down for a second and just talk video games for a while. But uh, anybody who was wondering, I am, uh, I, I'm basically done. I got a few other small things, but I'm basically done. So Gamer Glossary will be starting back up this next Monday. Do look out for that. And hopefully I awesome. won't have any more uh, delays or any more reasons that I'll need to put that on hold. But uh, yeah, yeah. Turns out moves are a lot of work. However, again, just like last week, you can't spend your entire time running around like a chicken with your head cut off. You do have to make time to at least <laughs> sit down and decompress for a few minutes and try to relax. So I was I able never to do got that. the memo on that. I yeah. never got the memo on that. I'm always chicken with my head cut off. <laughs> Can confirm. <laughs> but no, I've been playing Pictui. I've been continuing to slowly work through those puzzles. I didn't just knock them all out like somebody. <laughs> yeah, guilty. <laughs> yeah, I've been slowly working my way through Pick 2 and using that as kind of a nice little brain training, a nice little brain teasery, fun little thing each day. I've also been playing a little bit more Animal Crossing ever since I finished up my bug and fish collections. As a matter of fact, I'll probably jump on later on today, right after we finish this episode, and do the bug off. So if anybody ah, okay. if anybody is still playing, uh, there is a bug off today. This uh, the day the episode goes live, Saturday, July twenty fourth. So if you're around and you're still playing Animal Crossing, check that out. I'll probably grab a couple myself. But outside of that, a uh, couple games that you and I have both been playing. As a matter of fact, I do briefly want to mention that yes, I finally was able to pick up my copy of Skyward Sword HD, and I have been playing through Skyward Sword, gearing up for our review of that game very much looking forward to that and early impressions is zelda game which i mean is about <laughs> the best thing that i can say about a game really is that it it's a zelda game very much looking forward to diving even deeper into that game and full thoughts to come in the near future spoiler alert i'll probably have a few good things to say it's a good game i like skyward sword quite a bit is good game but the other Big game that you and I have both been playing. As a matter of fact, we played a little bit together uh, just last night as of this recording was Pokemoba. <laughs> it's finally out. Yes. Pokemon Unite has finally been released to the masses. And I, you know what? I dig it. I do. I kind of like good. it. I'm not going to lie. I like it too. I, I I honestly, I'm not a big MOBA guy. I've I've tried many MOBAs and I've not spent as much time with it as you. I've only had the chance to play a game or two. But I mean, like, yeah, we played it together and had a good time. I was actually really impressed how easy it was yeah. to play together. And um, 
yeah, the game's fun. I mean, like if, if there is going to be a MOBA that hooks me, it's going to be a Pokemon one. Right. Yeah. And I think that that was the thought is it, it feels like the MOBAs, not necessarily that there's a huge gatekeeper culture with MOBAs, which admittedly there kind of is. But, sure, yeah. But the games themselves don't really lend themselves to beginners that much. Right. So I think because of that, I think Pokemon Unite is going to attract a big audience. And uh, I mean, there is certainly a couple things to look out for. Obviously, the game is a freemium title. It's a free to play. There's going to be microtransactions. There are gems that you can purchase with real world money. Uh, but at least in the offset, it does look like the game is giving people a ton of different ways to to earn rewards. Now, if there's a couple certain Pokemon that you want, specifically Seth and I's number one favorite Pokemon of yeah. all time each are both fairly expensive gets. But they knew what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. Of course they <laughs> They did. listened to the show. Yeah. <laughs> but you can unlock quite a bit of stuff. I mean, there are battle passes and again, you can purchase extra usable Pokemon and I'm sure they're going to just continue to add more and more Pokemon, but there are a lot of stuff. There is admittedly a lot of stuff that you can unlock through just playing the, the free version of the game. We'll see how much that continues to be true going on into the lifespan of the game. But at least here at the offset, they've certainly added a lot of events and a lot of introductory things to really get oh, people yeah. started quickly. So I don't know. Uh, it's it's hard to recommend a game with microtransactions because the money spending can get so out of hand so quickly. But I certainly don't feel, at least right now, even though I would love to get Lucario, I certainly don't feel like I'm being forced to spend real world money to have a good time with the game. I'm having quite a bit of fun and finding quite a bit to do with just the base version. And the battles themselves, I think, are really interesting. Seth, you and I did run into uh, a battle last night where we just kind of got the floor mopped with us. And <laughs> yeah, we did. We did kind of wonder whether or not some of the people on the other team had maybe purchased equipable items. If maybe there was a little bit of a, a pay to win thing going on. I can't yeah. really, con I can't really confirm that right now. I don't know how strong that's going to play into it, but uh, outside of that match that I played with Seth, I've played several other matches where, uh, as a matter of fact, the one that I played with Seth is the only one that I've lost so far. I've been doing pretty well. What are you trying well. to say? <laughs> well, I'm just saying get good. That's really all I'm trying to say. But it's a free download, so there is certainly zero risk on the offset. Right. But again, do be aware, yes, it is a free-to-play title with microtransactions. So especially if you are a parent, who is letting their children mm -hmm. play this game because that's obviously who this game is, is really for. It's supposed to be a, an introductory MOBA really. So a, a massive part of this game's audience is going to be the younger generation. So if you are a parent letting their kid play this game, just like Fortnite, it is very strong in the microtransaction category. So do be aware of that. But uh, yeah, as long as, you know, as long as you make it so that your kid can't rack up a thousand dollar credit card bill, sure, let them go to town. I think they'll have a lot of fun with it. I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's a simple, easy game to get into, but I'm having, again, a lot of fun with it. So try out Pokemon Unite, available now on the eShop. Yeah, I like it too. I mean, I, I think it's, 
I think it's going to be a really good introductor uh, and introductory game into the kind of MOBA world, the way that they've streamlined a lot of the upgrade paths and things like that. Because I I've had my little stints with games like League and TFT, and there's definitely like a meta to it, and I'm sure a meta will reveal itself with this game eventually. But it, it they they've streamlined a lot of the annoying parts of MOBAs, so I'm yeah I'm impressed with it. I'm looking forward to playing more. I just really hope the the meta and the fan base for Pokemon Unite doesn't start to get, you know, as toxic as many other games like this famously are. Sure. Yeah, that's 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 definitely at risk. And I think that they'll have a lot of work to do in terms of updates and the amount of things that players can experience for free. And that's going to really kind of govern the success of the game. How How much can I get out of it? without having to pay how how often are you going to be rotating new content into the game so we'll see i'm I'm looking forward to continuing to play the game and and seeing where it goes and the last thing that i will talk about really quickly is i was hoping to be able to go see it last week unfortunately that didn't happen because of all the craziness going on with my move down here to florida however i was this week finally able to steal a couple hours and go see black widow at the theaters so cool I enjoyed it. It's certainly worth noting for me because it's the first movie that I've seen in theaters since Onward last year. It's been almost a full year and a half since I've seen a movie in theaters, which for me is maybe the biggest stretch of my life to include the times that I was deployed to Afghanistan. Yeah, Uh, me too. So obviously there is a very good reason for that. But yes, very happy to have gone to see my first movie in a theater in almost a year and a half. I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't as, I think, as as excellent as many other MCU offerings, especially the Avengers movies, uh, and especially a lot of the ones we've gotten in recent years, like Black Panther and Infinity War and Endgame. But right. I mean, but it was still really good. I mean, a good MCU movie is still really good. So if you're into the MCU, you know, obviously I've talked enough about it this year because of WandaVision and Loki and Falcon of the Winter Soldier. But Black Widow is just another really interesting addition to the canon. It does answer a couple very interesting questions, specifically uh, what happened during the Budapest mission. Mm. Uh, There's even actually a couple other callbacks to that original Avengers movie when it comes to Black Widow's history. So Really, really interesting. Uh, I won't, I certainly won't spoil it, but there has been a little bit of discussion about something uh, surrounding the main villain, Taskmaster. But, okay. you know, but you know what? Yeah, I, you know, I'm okay. I didn't hate it. So <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. I don't want to get any deeper into that because I feel like I'd be entering spoiler territory. But uh, yeah, Black Widow's out now. It's available, I think, on Premiere Access on Disney Plus as well. But, you know, try to get out. Try to go to a theater. Get out and about. Let's get back out into the world, people. Um, but actually, honestly, uh, there was another movie that I was thinking about seeing. But maybe it's a good thing I didn't, Seth. You had to bring it up, didn't you? I'm you sorry. You just had to bring it up. I'm sorry. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> just, I, dude, that... That message you sent me after you finished it, I about died laughing. <laughs> okay, guys. So, all right. So, I, I didn't see it in a theater. I too. This is this is like you said, probably been the longest stretch of my life. I've never really stopped and considered that. This has probably been the longest stretch of my life. I've gone without seeing a movie in a movie theater because 
the last movie I saw in theaters, I think, was Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, wow. I think that's the last movie. I may, either that or maybe Birds of Prey. Um, it's been a long time. Uh, in any case, it was last, like, February that I saw a movie. Uh, or, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Long time. Um, and... I decide I've seen movies, of course, since then by way of things like Disney Premier Access and HBO Max. And the movie that Eric is referring to is the movie that I mentioned last week on the show. I was going to watch this week and did Space Jam A New Legacy. Um, and it's not good at all. <laughs> it's one of the worst movies I think I've ever seen. Um <laughs> It's not, it's really bad. And, and like, I, I'm not one of these people that just likes to crap on movies. I go into every movie wanting to love it. Right. And like, I'm a very positive person. Overall. Yeah. We pride ourselves on being a fairly positive podcast. Yeah. So. Yes. Um, and, and, and I want to go into all, especially this one, because you know how much I love the first space jam. Yes. And yes. It's got the, a very message, special place in your heart. Totally. And, and the message that I sent you. Um, and I think this is going to be the line that, that I kind of have about this movie is that Space Jam A New Legacy genuinely makes the first movie look like Citizen Kane. Like, it really does. Like, the story is so stupid, like, so supremely stupid. And it actually took about a minute and a half for that movie to actually make me really angry. Um I, there's been a lot of discourse online about the misrepresentation of the Game Boy and the games in the movie's opening minutes, but <laughs> they actually make like a strict anti-video game stance really early on in the film. the The crescendo moment, the final act of the movie, is literally an hour long. The actual basketball game itself is more than half of the entire movie, and it is the most plotting sequence of events I think I've ever seen in a film. Um, it's not funny. It goes out of its way. The movie actively goes out of its way to just like ruin your perception on all of these WB properties that you love, but also the first movie. There are multiple points in this movie where they acknowledge that they could have done something cool to reference the first one and choose not to like, they actively choose not to. I like. I feel comfortable saying this. This is not like a big spoiler, but like characters from the first movie appear, and they literally just pop. It's. I'm not joking. They pop up on screen for two seconds, and then that's it. They don't even say anything. And then they even have the opportunity to bring Michael Jordan back, and they build it up, and then they they immediately deflate it for a joke. And not a funny joke, like whatsoever. It's the most awkward thing you've ever seen. And like, then you have all these characters that they've brought in from all these other WB properties, like Pennywise and King Kong and the Iron Giant and stuff like that. And they're literally just in the crowd watching the basketball game. Like, that they're, they don't do anything. They just sit there and watch it. And they have characters like the Penguin and Riddler and stuff like that, but they're like these like total spirit of Halloween costumes. Like they look terrible. There was no budget put behind those costumes at all. I couldn't believe how bad this movie was. Like it, it, it's, it's a travesty how bad that movie is. It actually is. Um, and it, it tries to say like some good things about family. The Looney Tunes involvement in the movie makes zero sense, at least in the first movie, not to like, 
narratively dissect Space Jam, all right? But like, (laughs) at least in the first movie, it made sense for the Looney Tunes to be in there. In this movie, it makes zero sense. There are two saving graces about this movie, and this is the last thing I'll say, and I promise I'll move on from Space Jam. (laughs) Don Cheadle is is the villain of this movie, and he's unironically the best part of the movie. He's having fun with it. He's playing it up like a cartoony villain, and at least he's having fun. Um, so he's great. And then <laughs> there is a, there is a authentically really good and funny scene involving Roadrunner and Ky- and Wiley Coyote uh, in Mad Max in the world of Mad Max Fury Road. That scene is genuinely hilarious. And it's like the one fleeting moment of joy in that entire movie. And I wish the entire movie had that tone. It was so funny. And, like that actually made me laugh really hard. And, and the, but you know, that, that's such a fleeting moment. Like the one good scene in two hours of suffering. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, not so a good would movie. You, so would you recommend Space Jam and New Legacy, <laughs> Seth? It, there's, there's a part of me that like, that recommends it on like a, like a, you know, a bad movie. Kind of the people who like to have a few drinks and watch The Room or something like that, you know? Like in that kind of bad movie enjoyment, but no, it's it's really bad. Like it it honestly I struggle to think of a movie in recent memory that I disliked more than Space Jam and New Legacy. It's it's bad. Um but thankfully, blessedly, the other things that I have done this week have been much, much better <laughs> than Space Jam. Uh I want to talk about a couple of things real quick. Uh so obviously I've been playing a bunch of Skyward Sword is good game. We're going to talk about that much more later once we've both had the chance to spend a bunch more time with it. Um, I finished It Takes Two, which I talked about briefly uh, last week on the show. I'm not uh-huh. going to get super. I'm not going to get super into it because these are uh, this game is not available on Nintendo Switch yet. I hope it does. Mm-hmm. Please bring it to Switch. Um, it, that game is excellent and is probably my current favorite gaming experience I've had this year. It's really good. Like, I really loved it. If you've got the opportunity to play It Takes Two, do it. Especially if you've got a co-op partner. I played through it with my cousin, and it was phenomenal. Like, genuinely one of the most impressive gaming experiences I've ever had. In terms of gameplay variety, Mario Odyssey is really the only game that I can think of that maybe possibly has as much successful gameplay variety in it. Like how in Mario Odyssey, you can throw Cappy and, you know, capture, so to speak, these these characters and embody them and they each have their own little gameplay mechanics behind them. Like, It Takes Two is throwing new gameplay ideas at you constantly over its like 10 to 12 hour runtime. And it's, I, I swear, you're not doing the same thing for more than like 15 minutes. It is breathless. And all of it works. Like nothing was a bummer. Nothing was like, oh man, like I wish I wasn't doing this. I wish I was doing something else instead. It was all good. I couldn't believe it. Like it's it's a very impressive game. To say nothing of the kind of deep story it's trying to tell, it features one of the most horrific scenes in any video game ever. If you've played It Takes Two, I'm referring to the cutie scene. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about <laughs> if and when you play It Takes Two. That scene is horrific. I I'll put it to you this way. <laughs> I watched I watched Midsommar that same night 
that we did the cutie scene mm-hmm. and the cutie scene was more disturbing than anything in Midsommar. Like it's I horrible. do want to watch that though. It, I, I really like Ari Aster's films a lot, but, um, but yeah, so like that, that scene nonwithstanding like that <laughs> at that moment, I was like, okay, these two main characters are irredeemable to me, but I still really enjoyed it. Um, like I said, probably my current favorite game of the year. I, I really, really loved it. Um, but I want to talk about, this is another Nintendo thing that I'll just kind of briefly mention. Another game that even when it was announced, you and I were like, please, please, please come to the Switch. And that's Death's Door. Yep. Um, man, so yeah, Acid Nerve basically made a Zelda game, a 2D top-down Zelda game with Death's Door. It's really good. I like it a lot. I have spent about three hours or so with it, which to hear people tell it that's about half of the game's like runtime, but I've seen people report that they've spent as many as 15 to 20 hours with it to 100% the game. The game's world is filled with like secrets and stuff like this. Um, again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it's a Nintendo podcast and I've been playing on PC. It is weird how much I've been playing my PC lately, but uh, <laughs> I, I've never been a big PC guy, but I, I just, I want this game to come to Switch because the game's file size is like less than a gig graphically it's you know it's it's a very like art style heavy stylistic game the whole time i'm playing it i'm like to me i'm not a you know a game developer but i'm like there's no reason this can't be on switch surely so i i hope it does come to switch eventually it takes two is a different story because i'm like okay this is like kind of a next gen experience there's a lot of things probably going on under the hood but death store i feel like that that can and should make its way to switch and then i realized that Acid Nerve's first game, Titan Souls, is also not on Switch. And yep. that makes z- I actually thought it was. Like, if you had asked me beforehand, I would have bet money that Titan Souls is on Switch. Um, I had no idea it wasn't. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's some reason, maybe their engine doesn't play well with the Switch. I don't know. But in, in any case, I do hope the Death Store comes to Switch because it's a really special little game. I know a lot of people are already considering it to be on their short list of favorite games of the year. I will say it is maybe my favorite soundtrack of the year. My goodness, the soundtrack of this game is good. Like, <laughs> phenomenal. Like, every single track that has played in that game, I've actually actively stopped and listened to it like like wanted to stop the action and just listen to the music it's that good it's excellent (laughs) excellent stuff and like tackles a bunch of different genres there's like jazzy songs there's like really kind of action heavy brassy songs oh it's really excellent um the gameplay is fluid the exploration is great i love it. it it's it's really good. We knew it was going to be good, right? From that initial trailer yeah. that they showed at the day of the devs, we were like, God, I wish this was coming to Switch. <laughs> <laughs> we did say that a few times, but Death Store may have been one of the most pronounced, like, ah, yes, fist yes. in air. Because the Nintendo Switch is such a great haven. It's such a great home for indie developers. Yeah. Like the, the number of really good indie games, not just present indie games, but past indie games, games like Celeste and Cave Story and Fez, you know, all of these classics of the independent industry. Like the Nintendo Switch really seems to be, you know, this great home for indie games. So when we see a great indie game out there, it just and at this point, it honestly just feels like it should come to the Switch. If it's a good indie game, it just feels like it should come to Nintendo's hybrid console. 
Yeah. And, and I, so if anybody from Acid Nerve or publisher Devolver Digital is just happens to be listening, please, 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 please <laughs> bring Death Store to Switch. My goodness, it would That's be the perfect place pleases. for it. Wow. He's, he's, yeah. I think he's serious about <laughs> he's this. He's serious, place. yeah. <laughs> and again, it's got so much Zelda DNA. The game, I, I could see Titan Souls might turn some people off because like Titan Souls is a very difficult game. Death's Door is not... It's definitely challenging, but I would say that it's it's quite a bit more manageable than Titan Souls. And again, it's like a Zelda-like experience, totally takes inspiration from from the Zelda series. It, it just makes too much sense. Please bring that to Switch. That's six pleases now. <laughs> um, anyway, that's Nintendo stuff. We have got a lot of news to cover and uh, and some really interesting things in the news roundup. So what do you say we get into it? Yeah, I honestly still can't believe that it's already been a week since our last show with my move, but apparently some stuff has happened in the past few days. Let's talk about it. Hey, listen! So Nintendo announced this past week that as of January 18th, 2022, the Japanese 3DS and Wii U eShops will no longer be accepting direct payments. This is via credit and debit cards. And I, I wanted to bring this up because I think there's a lot of air that needs to be cleared here. There's a lot of misreporting happening uh, with this story, I, I, the eShops themselves are not closing yet. Uh, you can still use preloaded eShop cards or pre-existing account balance. So you could load it up on the website, for example, and pay for those games. In addition, this is only currently confirmed for the Japanese versions of these eShops. And evidently, I didn't even know this, but apparently this has been the case for the European eShops on 3DS and Wii U for like three years now. So I, I just saw a lot of people kind of doom signaling. Is this the beginning of the end? It probably is. I don't think that the 3DS and Wii U eShops are going to last forever when we're, you know, four years plus into the Switch's life. But I, I just wanted to kind of dispel the uh, dispel the rumors or the rumblings that this, you know, that this means that those eShops are closing soon or or whatever. It's it's a it's just the Japanese shops. B, it's only direct payments via credit and debit cards. So it's not as big a deal as I think a lot of people are making it out to be. Well, that, and I mean, obviously, I, I mean, the, the Nintendo Switch is in its fifth year, right? So right. you're, you're going to have to start phasing out the previous console. You're going to have to start moving on from those old servers eventually. Exactly. So, and no word yet on a lot of the American stuff. Again, this is the... Uh, this is the Japanese version of the eShop that we're talking about. And even then, it's not closed. However, the writing, this we're basically just talking about how the writing is kind of on the wall now that Nintendo is officially trying to, to phase out a lot of the Wii U functions and a lot of the Wii U services. We expect this right. to come to uh, the West pretty soon, but we will see on that. But for those people who who do still have Wii U's, there are still a lot of very good games that you can download on the Wii U, especially when you're talking about the virtual console, games that are not available through the NSO apps. So if you if there's any that you've had your eye on, maybe it's time to start finding a way to download those sooner rather than later. Not saying you only have a week or so, but uh, maybe make some plans, go through the Wii U eShop and, and figuring out what games you still want to download while you kind of have the chance. And actually speaking of the NSO, we got news on the July update for the Super Nintendo NSO app on the Nintendo Switch, specifically just 
the Super Nintendo app for, I think, the first time ever, Nintendo is not adding a new NES game in this latest batch. It is just three Super Nintendo games that we will be getting next week on the 28th. We will be getting three new games to the Super Nintendo NSO app in the form of Claymates, a mascot platformer, Jelly Boy, another mascot platformer, and then Bomboozle, Bombuzzle, something? Yeah, Bomboozle, I guess. I don't know. I guess, yeah. (laughs) Bombuzzle, something like that. Uh, What it looks to be an isometric puzzle game. All three of these super obscure titles. I think I was only vaguely aware of Claymates. Uh, Same. Yeah, that's the only one that I kind of knew. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't really super familiar at all with Jelly Boy. And I don't think I had ever seen Bombuzzle at all (laughs) once. So... (laughs) <laughs> Again, this is something that we always seem to say when we're talking about these NSO updates because Nintendo does release a lot of really obscure titles through this service, and I'm here for it. I'm happy. I'm glad for the sake of game preservation at the very least that we are getting stuff like this. However, Nintendo has always kind of balanced that out, you know, especially for the past year or so. They have always kind of balanced that out with higher profile games, with games that are more traditionally classic titles stuff like the donkey kong country franchise especially immediately comes to mind from a lot of the recent updates so the fact that there's no nes title in this batch the fact that all three of these are really obscure titles i do think that's interesting because the argument that i've made in the past is nintendo still has so many frankly stone cold classic games on the Super Nintendo specifically that really should be brought to the NSO app. I was perfectly happy with them continuing to bring obscure and not very well-known games. I was perfectly happy with that. But the fact that they're bringing these as opposed to all these Stone Cold classics, as, as long as they've been balancing it out by bringing a really good classic game along with obscure games, I was perfectly okay with it. But now that they're moving... I don't want to say, you know, this has only been one or two updates, but the fact that it seems like they might be moving toward more exclusively obscure games, I really hope they don't. I really hope they delve into that huge back catalog of fantastic games that people still want to see. Sure, keep bringing us obscure games like this, but yeah, drop Chrono Trigger with us. Drop Secret of Mana with it. Drop, you know, Super Mario RPG with it, drop Axley with it, drop one of these really great classic games that people are still pining for heavily. Maybe if you're feeling generous, drop Earthbound. You know, keep bringing us these obscure games, but don't forget to also, you know, drop a couple classics once in a while, please, Nintendo. Although that being said, I am really interested and excited to check these out next week. Yeah, I mean, same. And, and yeah, we've been advocates for kind of these unknown games coming on to NSO and, and getting a chance to try them out. And sometimes you're surprised by how good they are. Games like Spanky's Quest come to mind. It's like, oh, that's actually a cool little game. Yeah, Spanky's um, Quest, Fire and Ice. There's a couple games that kind of surprised me. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Yeah, totally. And and I think the problem is, is the infrequency of these updates. Like... If they were coming out and doing drops like this every couple weeks, even reliably once a month, I think would soften the blow quite a bit. Like at least, okay, at least we have another chance in a few weeks or whatever. But these 
happen pretty infrequently. And then it's like when we do, we get Claymates and Jelly Boy. Like what? Like what's going on here? And then flash, you know, flash over to the Japanese version of NSO. They're getting the first Shimigami Tensei in their drop. So it's like, what? There's a bit of a disconnect there. I, I don't know. It's it's a little bit weird. I'm looking forward to trying them out too. I I mean, look, I make a show called Keep Nintendo Weird. I love weird Nintendo games, and you know, the, the, there's no secret about that. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's like drop something big in addition to it. Give us something to be excited about in addition to the excitement of discovery. So we'll see. Uh, speaking of NSO, I did want to just as a quick PSA, uh, the massively successful Among Us is currently free to play. It's their new free to play NSO game right now through July 27th. They do have a sale running on the game. So if you play Among Us, if you're one of the few people who have no idea what Among Us is and you uh, you know give it a chance, and play it for free, you can purchase the full game for 30% off during this trial period. So, I mean, Among Us, you don't need me to tell you what Among Us is probably, but um, <laughs> it is free to play right now if you're on NSO. And the base, like the base price for the game is five bucks. So <laughs> right. it's it's really good. Granted, yes, I think in order to have a, a good experience with Among Us, you need, you know, about eight or nine friends that you can all get on online. Because I've certainly tried to play games with randos, and it's it's hard. It, it's hard. It really is. But if you can find a few friends, a few, several friends, admittedly, but if you can find a few <laughs> people to get online with Among Us, it is a fantastic game to play, a fantastic and cheap game to play online. Hours of you know, backstabbing fun for the whole family. Yeah, totally. So definitely worth a look. Speaking of games making their way to Switch, though, speaking of retro games making their way to Switch, I just wanted to I wanted to talk about this for a brief second because this was such a head-scratcher to me. Square Enix held a Q&A this past week uh, specifically referencing the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters that they announced at E3 for Steam and Mobile. And during this Q&A, they said that they will consider bringing the games to consoles based on demand for console versions of the game, which to me is like, hang on, are you guys just completely oblivious to what the reaction to that announcement was? Do you really not think that there is demand for these games on consoles? Like what? (laughs) The fact that all these remasters of these six Final Fantasy games are exclusively coming to Steam and mobile was probably the most deflating moment of Square Enix's entire conference for a large number of people, you and I included, Seth. Oh, yeah. That's probably my biggest disappointment disappointment of the entire show, to be honest with you. There's a few games that just really look like they should have come to one platform or another. When you saw all those classic Final Fantasy remasters, didn't that just scream Nintendo Switch to you? I, I would have, if you had paused that trailer, right? If you had, if that moment in time had been paused, I would have bet money that it was coming to Switch. I mean, I was so excited. I've never had like the emotional highs and then the immediate crash, like a, like a, an actual emotional roller coaster to seeing the announcement trailer of that and then for it to end with Steam and mobile. Like what a tone deaf decision that was. And the thing about it is, and this is something that I was talking to you about, is the fact that it just really feels like video game analysts, video game market and industry analysts are just constantly 
being proven wrong about the way they're reading the industry. It blows my mind the decisions that are being made at the corporate level by these companies who are listening to these people that they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to tell them what's going on in the market, only for them to just be constantly proven completely wrong. And if it were just one or two things, whatever. But it just seems like every other day, there's another just head-scratching decision from one of these major video game developers and publishers. Like you said, they specifically said they would look into it if there was demand. And it was, you just have to ask the questions like, did you guys even watch any of the reactions (laughs) to your own conference? Did you guys even look at the discourse following your own E3 conference and you wonder if there's demand? Yeah. Are are you completely blind to the reaction to that conference? Are you, are you actually unaware that, that people want this on other consoles like switch, by the way, all of these games debuted on Nintendo consoles. Like it makes sense. And the, the remasters themselves look good. They've talked about how they've redone all the character sprites, how Uematsu himself has rearranged all the background music sound effects have been reproduced. They're putting effort into this and they're stranding it on a mobile and PC market. It, it is actually baffling. I, it makes no sense to me. I could honestly probably talk for another 30 minutes. I could rant probably for another 30 minutes on, <laughs> you know, so, uh, this is the reason that so many independent developers are having to do spiritual successors to all of these beloved classics from yesteryear is because all of these industry insiders are telling these big publishers and developers, nobody wants anything to do with these classic IPs. Nobody wants a Banjo 3. Nobody wants a new Castlevania Metroidvania game. Nobody wants you know, a new Mega Man title. That's why the independent scene is having to really pick up the reins of so many of these classic IPs is because for whatever reason, these major companies, these major developers are listening to people who are telling them that, you know, it's all about new IPs now. Nobody cares about classic games anymore. I just... Like, just pay me half the price of all these people you're actually listening to, and I'll tell you what's <laughs> really going on with your fan base. Square Enix, yeah. Namco Bandai, Konami, I'm here, I'm available for hire. Just let me know. I I want to help you guys out because you guys clearly need it with some of these decisions you're making. Rant over. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> well, well, we'll move on from Final Fantasy because, I mean, it's clearly something that we're passionate about. Hey, maybe it will come to Switch. I certainly hope it does. Uh, but speaking of something that may potentially be coming to Switch, uh, this has not been confirmed yet, but there is a very convincing image that is circulating around online right now, first reported by Nintendo Everything, and it is essentially an image revealing that Dying Light is potentially making its way to Switch. For those that don't know, Dying Light is an open world zombie parkour game. And evidently this will be the platinum edition of the game that is going to include all four of the game's major DLC expansions. And again, uh, developer publisher Techland has not confirmed this yet, but it seems legit. And if this is a thing, this is going to be another one of those games like The Witcher 3 where I'm like, how in the world are they going to have Dying Light running on the Switch? Like, I, I actually really liked Dying Light. I did not like Dead Island whatsoever, but Dying Light I thought was actually really good. And I will be fascinated to see, if this ends up being confirmed, I will be fascinated to see how they even got this game running on Switch. I really will. <laughs> 
It'd be cool. I mean, it's just, it would be just another drop in the bucket at this point for really good Nintendo Switch games. Dying Light was certainly a good enough game that I think it warrants a Switch release. I'm not saying it was a game of the year contender or anything, but it's certainly an interesting, unique take on the zombie genre, you know, in amongst all these zombie shooters that have flooded the market in recent years. So if if you're into zombie games, if you like stuff like that, if you like parkour, uh, platforming, stuff like Prince of Persia and, you know, Uncharted and Tomb Raider, stuff like that. It's it's a nice little blend of the two. So if that sounds up your alley, yeah. check it out. Yeah, definitely. I, I am the most fatigued person of zombie games, but like Dying Light was really a breath of fresh air and a fun game. You can do an online co-op too. It's, it's really good. Um, so hopefully that comes. We do have a couple, just as a quick PSA, um, I, I wanted to mention that there are a couple confirmed release dates for some upcoming indie games. Uh, Road 96, that game, uh, I checked that out on uh, Steam Next Fest. There's a video of me playing through that demo on our YouTube channel you should check out. That game now has a date of August 16th. And then thanks to a new trailer at EA Play Live 2021 this past week, Lost in Random now has a release date of September 10th, which is a game that you and I are both interested in. So just yes. a couple of release dates to shout out there. Yes, very, very interested in checking out Lost in Random. It looks like some kind of weird mix almost between Little Nightmares and Psychonauts. But yeah, yeah, I'll be very, very interested to check that game out when it finally drops in September. Might be a good one to play for our October month of spooky indie showcases. Yeah, there you mm. go. That's a thought. Mayhaps. Mayhaps. Definitely keep that uh keep that as a possibility. But uh last thing that we should really kind of dig in here is the I guess the continuation of the Gigaleak story that happened uh, it's been kind of ongoing for the past year or so. Um this this Nintendo Gigaleak thing again we're not condoning piracy or hacking, you know, Nintendo stuff or whatever, but some of these things coming out of these giga leaks is pretty interesting. And we've got kind of a new wave of it um, that, that we should probably stop and, and kind of mention for a second. Uh, I think some of the most interesting pieces that have come out of this, nothing of the like L is real scale that we talked about last time. But one thing that, that I really kind of wanted to point to was evidently retro studios, the Metroid prime and the donkey Kong guys mm-hmm. were at one time working on an action RPG based around chic. And there is now concept art that is floating around of this game. And evidently it is going to, it was going to uh, explore the journey of the last Sheikah while dark Gerudo were giving their 100 year birth to Ganon, I guess was the pitch description. And um, they were working on that for a little while and the project was canceled, obviously. But uh, this was going on from around the 2005 era, evidently. And we now have concept art for this canceled project. So that's kind of cool to see. You know what blows my mind about this specifically? Nintendo had a character. Sheik, of course, for those who don't know, is... Sorry, spoilers for a 25-year-old game. But Sheik (laughs) is the alter ego of Princess Zelda from Ocarina of Time. Sheik being portrayed as essentially this mystical ninja superhero alter ego of the Legend of Zelda's title character. I mean, that spinoff basically writes itself in my eyes. 
However, Nintendo looked at that and said, you know what? I think we'll actually go with the spinoff of Tingle instead. <laughs> right. Yeah, Tingle makes more sense, right? <laughs> that That's the thing that blows my mind about all this, is apparently Nintendo essentially had a choice between doing an action RPG spinoff with Sheik, where you could finally actually play as the Legend of Zelda's title character. Right. And then they had Tingle's Rupee uh, Wonderland or whatever, and they said, we'll go with Tingle. <laughs> yeah, makes zero sense. You've got a studio like Retro, which would have been a good studio to exactly. do it. Exactly. Um, Coming off of Metroid Prime, doing that. Oh. Yeah, and Retro had a bunch of interesting projects in the works, like that Boo game that they were working on. Like, oh man, it would have been really cool to see some of these things come to fruition. I hope that... I hope that these things kind of still stay in the pipeline, at least maybe something to revisit later. Uh, there's another, you know, a bunch of other stuff in this giga leak wave that you can check out via uh, forest of illusion. Um, early Wii remote designs when it looked like an actual like remote, um, you know, concept art for the Mies when those were being developed. Uh, there was uh, about 25 seconds of mother three, a, a new Earthbound game, essentially, running on Nintendo 64, which I guess was going to be showcased at Space World. And uh, that looked really cool. This is back from, like, 1997. So that was, that was pretty cool to see. But, um, you know, that's the GigaLeak. It's always kind of interesting to see the things that come from this. And it puts us in a weird place. I remember I was talking to Kelsey Lewin about this uh, when uh, we interviewed her last year. And the take on it sort of was, and for those that don't know, she's like a video game historian, literally works for the Video Game History Foundation. And her take on it was like, while I can't condone people stealing data from Nintendo, it is nonetheless interesting to pick apart. Yeah. I mean, we we don't condone stuff like this. However, I mean, the information is now out there and that's kind of what we do is talk about the news and talk about this information. So I'm sorry that it happened, but it's out there now. So it's let the discourse begin. Hey, speaking of that, dude, do you hear that? Is that? An, oh, really? Two weeks in a row. Blue shell topic, baby. We got another one this week. And it really is a little serendipitous to talk about this kind of stuff in relation to another Nintendo Giga leak, because this, we, we really... It's time to talk about these rumors, the discourse, the leaks, all this junk really kind of started with, and we spoke on this a little bit when we were talking about the Nintendo Switch OLED and and all the Switch Pro rumors and everything leading up to E3, but this past week it sort of reached a fever pitch when a couple of things happened. I think the first thing was the resurgence of dialogue about the Metroid Prime trilogy which is something that has been being talked about for the past, what, year and a half, two years now? Like, the fact that it's basically done and Nintendo's waiting on it, for some reason, that bubbled back up to the surface this past week and people reported on it and discourse began. But what really kind of set this off, and the reason that I feel like we we need to stop and talk about this, is Nintendo itself is now responding to this stuff, specifically relating to a Bloomberg report uh, that came out earlier this week that was purporting that the Nintendo Switch OLED model was actually going to increase the profit margin that Nintendo was making. And 
I mean, Nintendo basically said, you know what? We've had it. We're going to actually address this in a very rare move. I want to stress to our listeners how rare of a move this is. Nintendo never comments on rumors or speculation. Never. Um, But they released a tweet from the official Nintendo company Japanese Twitter account. They said, quote, a news report on July 15th, 2021, Japan Standard Time, claimed that the profit margin of the Nintendo Switch OLED model would increase compared to the Nintendo Switch. To ensure correct understanding among our investors and customers, we want to make clear that the claim is incorrect. We also want to clarify that we just announced that the Nintendo Switch OLED model will launch in October 2021 and have no other plans for launching any other model at this time. End quote. And basically, mic drop Bloomberg. (laughs) I mean, that is the most articulate, most suave way of saying Stop lying about us. Get out of our face. Yeah, they've had it. They're sick of it. Because obviously we do like to talk about rumors and leaks. It's fun to talk about rumors and leaks. Now we do what we can to emphasize to you guys, to our audience, that what we are talking about has not been officially confirmed. I'd like to think that we do our best to talk about that. but. You know, there's a lot of stuff when it comes to rumors and leaks that's really fun to speculate about, really fun to talk about. But the Switch Pro rumors specifically were so omnipresent and they were so pervasive for so long. It just, there was going to be expectations. There was going to be these things that in the collective mindset of the audience, of the fan base, we just knew had to be true after so long. And it turned out that a lot of that misinformation, a lot of those leaks, a lot of those rumors, and a lot of the discourse regarding the Switch Pro, at, at least in my mind, was a huge part of, I think, the disappointed response that most people felt after the Switch OLED model was finally announced. So especially given Bloomberg's newest report and Nintendo finally coming out and saying, guys, stop lying. Just stop. I I think it finally, uh, I I think it was finally time for us to really address the, uh, the whole idea and concept of leaks and rumors and where their place is and maybe even where their place should be within the industry. Because right. we, we know they're not going away. Leaks and rumors are going to continue to happen. People are always going to try to be the first one to break new information. They're always going to try to be the first one to let people know so that they can establish themselves as, as credible journalists or credible influencers. There's always going to be people trying to leak information before it's officially announced. So we know that they're always going to be there. However, we I think we should talk about how damaging they can be. Well, yeah, I think it's really interesting if we if we look at this quote that from this statement from Nintendo, and, and I mean this does directly reference the Bloomberg report. I mean, they literally timestamped it. Like this this directly references the Bloomberg report. And we're seeing, I'm actually I'm looking, you know, Nintendo is a publicly traded company. And I'm looking at their stock report from the past six months and they have been on a slow decline with a couple of little spikes, but for the most part on a decline since June, since E3. And 
the reason for that, I mean, they haven't seen significant drops, but I mean, from a high of like $79 a share to now they're floating around uh, about $10 less than that, 10 to $12 less than that per share. That's a fairly wide margin of, uh, of investor disinterest. And I find it really interesting that they specifically say to our investors and customers, not customers and investors, investors and customers, i.e., they're noticing that these rumors and this misreporting and these false accusations and you know clickbait frankly yeah um is directly impacting the company's financials it is actually hurting the way that their investors are viewing them the fact that a company like bloomberg is saying well hang on nintendo's making a, a wider profit margin on this than they're letting on and like even if they were like i i, I got to stress to you guys like Nintendo's a business. It's trying to make money, <laughs> you know? Well, the entire the entire insinuation with, I think, Bloomberg's article specifically, I mean, what, why in the world would you call out a wider profit margin if it's not to insinuate some kind of shady behind-the-door dealings or something? Right. Why would you, why in the world is that a, a news point? Hey, Nintendo's going to be making more money off of this version. Uh, okay, so why are you telling us this? What are you trying to say? Right. They're they're trying to like push a narrative of like Nintendo's the evil company that, you know, is trying to save money and make more money off of the Switch OLED and they're letting on. They specifically said that Nintendo was going to be making about $50 uh in the profit margin for each OLED sold and stuff like this and I just, it's so, I mean, like, yeah, it does. It does directly impact the way that investors view them. And it definitely impacts the public appearance from the consumer because you already see people, and we've talked about it even on this show, the Nintendo is not your friend narrative and, and stuff like this. I mean, it does, you know, perception matters, optics matter. And it's gotten to the point where Nintendo is actually having to actively call this stuff out because it's starting to hurt their pocketbook. Now, and it's one thing to talk about rumors and leaks and discourse about a game or about a piece of software or about a patch or something like that, because, you know, that's a relatively self-contained product. Now, that's not to say that leaks and rumors couldn't be very damaging to developers and publishers based on the misrepresentation and the misinformation about that game or software. But when it comes to a piece of hardware, when it comes to a console, I, I think leaks and rumors and the impact of those is almost exponential. And given how long all the leaks and rumors persisted about this Switch Pro, and eventually what we got was the Switch OLED model. And that was, you know, something you and I talked about is a big part of the reason that Nintendo just dropped a brand yeah. new hardware, an enhanced version of the Nintendo Switch. Why they just randomly dropped it with absolutely zero fanfare on us at nine o'clock on a Tuesday morning was because of, because, you know, despite all everything I've said about market analysts and about how companies don't watch the market themselves, Nintendo was very clearly aware of the perception of what their new piece of hardware had to be. And they knew that it wasn't remotely up to most people's expectations that had been generated at that point because of all the misinformation. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's directly harmful to the way that Nintendo even reveals information to us, the consumers. 
I mean, like it, it directly impacts that kind of thing. And yeah. And, and to, to touch on the Metroid prime thing also, like it, it's, it's crazy how starved some of these news sites and stuff like this are for news stories where again, this Metroid prime thing was being talked about for at least the past year or more. And, and you know, we, we know that Nintendo probably does sit on some of these games, but who cares? They're going to like, they're going to talk about this stuff when they're ready to talk about it. And I just found it kind of sad how some of these news sites chose to report on the story as if it was brand new because they knew it would drum up more ire from fans or they knew it would drum up a conversation and get people riled up or whatever. And um, yeah, it's just, it's clickbait and it's harmful clickbait. It's like, I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of gross to me. Yeah. Well, I, I did start seeing a few people in response to more rumors and more leaks and more and it was specifically about the Metroid prime thing. I did see quite a few people on social media say is like, guys, we're done with this. Aren't we, are we still yeah. doing this? Are, are we still like, there's zero you know, evidence of this, there's zero, it's just, it's all hearsay. The only reason that we even brought up the dying light thing is because there is a very credible image out there. Like this isn't just some random person on Reddit saying one random thing. We're not going to talk about anything like this, anything potential, anything that hasn't been officially confirmed, unless we feel that there is a lot of weight behind it. Yes. Now we ultimately were some of the people uh, pushing a lot of the, the the stuff about the Switch Pro, we didn't necessarily have the information. We were reporting on uh, things that other people were saying, and we were talking about things that we would like to see from the Nintendo Switch. But all the reporting and all the discourse and all the talk that we have about leaks and rumors, we do try to give a pretty clear delineation between you know just fun conversation and cold hard facts. So yeah, a, a lot of people are trying to push supposed cold hard facts is like hey this rumor is out so this is clearly obviously absolutely 100 happening and people are just really really getting tired of it now especially after the switch pro yeah i mean whenever we approach commenting on a rumor or and i think too like there, there is a difference between rumors and leaks stuff like the giga leak that's a leak right that's something that is confirmed that that was a thing that happened and so that's information that we're comfortable reporting when something is a rumor, like the dying light thing, where it hasn't been confirmed yet, um, then we approach it like, okay, is this something that could be interesting to comment on? We're never going to present it as if it's a cold, hard fact. We're always going to curb that with, hey, take it with a grain of salt. It is just a rumor. But if there's you know interesting discourse to be had or speculation or a fun discussion to be had around something like Dying Light or a Switch Pro or a Metroid Prime Trilogy or whatever, then yes, we're going to talk about it. We're a podcast. We we like to talk about that stuff. It's fun to talk about that stuff, but we're never going to report it as if it's a cold, hard fact for the sake of, you know, clicks or the sake of consumer interest or whatever. That's not, you know, and, and that's how, that's the decorum that a lot of these uh, news publications are taking. They're presenting these things as cold, hard facts, and it's harmful to the consumers. It's harmful for the people who are putting money in the pockets of Nintendo. We're starting to see how it influences the way that Nintendo relays information. And um, yeah, it's just it's just kind of become a, a really harmful, gross thing. And I think people are fatigued by it. I, I want to, you know, I'll, I'll call out something even specifically that happened on Twitter and you know, we, we had somebody tag us and nothing against the person that tagged us in this. 
um, at all, because again, it's fun to talk about rumors, but Tactus and this rumor of um, the Oracle games being ported to switch. And it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, like so there's, I think everybody's fatigued. I think everybody's just kind of over it. We're just kind of like, ah, you know, like, again, are we like, are we going to talk about this stuff more? You know, like, I don't know. It, it's just kind of become like a dark cloud over Nintendo conversation right now, you know? And there's a few things uh, that can very, very easily come out of something like this. You wonder whether or not in response to anything getting leaked or any rumors getting started, you do wonder if companies wind up changing their game plan. Uh, yeah. Obviously, that was something that I, I think is a pretty safe assumption happened with Nintendo in terms of the game plan for how they marketed the Switch OLED model. But in terms of content for something like games or software, you do have to wonder whether or not games have decided to go left instead of right based on rumors or based on early information that has come out. And and you wonder whether or not those companies maybe should have just continued to go right despite of the leaks and the rumors. So you wonder what impact that leaks and rumors have had on these games in the first place. But when this information comes out and it's not true, it does hurt people's credibility. Like Bloomberg, as far as I'm concerned, like I I have zero interest in hearing about any Nintendo report that they have to put out at this point. And there are a lot of influencers and there's a lot of media outlets that we're talking a lot and have talked a lot about the Switch Pro in the past year, especially leading up to E3 this year. We had guarantees, frankly, that Nintendo was going to release the Switch Pro prior to E3. And now we're sitting here and now there's a lot of people with egg on their face. The problem is, I honestly think it's just going to continue to get worse because you have these people with these lowered credibilities that a lot of people aren't going to be going to for information or aren't going to be nearly as comfortable going to for information. But that's going to create more people who are going to try to fill that void to saying, okay, well, these people have lost their credibility. They're no longer the alpha leakers, the alpha influencers that they once were. Maybe I can come in if I can somehow wiggle my way in here and find some information and do some hacking and jump in, right. uh, jump through some firewalls. Maybe I can become the next alpha leaker. And you have these people, like it's almost like a mafia void. You're going to have so many people coming in trying to purport their own rumors and their own information as if it's real. It's, it's just going to become this misinformation battle. I just, I really see that coming on the horizon. And I really hope it doesn't come to that. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's going to be sort of a race to the bottom of like, of like how, you know, how outrageous can we get? Like how, how many leaks can we throw out there? How much misinformation can we spread, you know, intentionally or no, I, I don't know. I, it just, I think it's harmful for, for so many different reasons. And I think that for our part, we're going to continue commenting on things when we can have fun doing so, when we can have fun discourse, that is not, uh, we're, we're not going to try to sell you guys on these blatant rumors or try to like say that these are 100% real. And that's not to say that we couldn't potentially look at ourselves a little bit harder to make sure to ensure sure. that we are not presenting something in a method or in a way that people could possibly construe as being cold, hard facts. When in fact, we are just trying to have a little fun discussion and talk about something that could potentially happen. Like that's, that's certainly a conversation that, Uh, Seth and I can have 
uh, ourselves and look at ourselves a little bit harder to make sure that even we are being better about it for you guys. Yeah. Th- thousand percent. I mean, like, I, I think that that's, that's a tack that we're going to try to continue to take and maybe even, you know, try to be even more clear that things are just rumors or, or whatever the case may be. So I just, I, you know, when it comes to us and it comes to our tact on it, we're going to try to do our part, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it is going to get worse. I think it's going to continue to be a harmful thing. And, um, it's just, it's something to stop and acknowledge. It's something to stop and talk about and, and say, Hey, categorically, this is bad. And this is why this is bad. Right. So I hope that some of our listeners and some of our peers will sort of join us in, in trying to stop the widespread fire a little bit. Yeah. You know? And it is always worth taking a second and even third look at articles that you read. We always try to emphasize rumors and leaks uh, when we do have fun little discussions here. We always try to emphasize, we always have this thing where take it with a grain of salt. We say that a lot here right. on this show. So, you know, maybe when you're looking at something, there are a few outlets out there that do a pretty good job of labeling things as rumors. However, if you are reading news from any source, from any outlet, do double check and see, just double check the validity of what you're reading. If you're reading something that's not even labeled as a rumor, but it's based off of some Reddit thread, some username on a Reddit thread, maybe don't take that as gospel truth. Yeah. And I mean, for our part too, we we try really hard. We care a lot about making sure that what we are reporting is factual. I think about the Arby's thing, right? Oh, yeah. the Arby's Shovel Knight DLC thing. I mean, that was a big thing for us. And like, even this week, right? Even Lost in Random, there were a lot of people that were reporting on, oh, this is a brand new Switch announcement. And I actually had to do some digging to find out that no, it was already confirmed to be coming to Switch. It just has a new release date. So it's stuff like that. It's little things like that. There's so much misinformation going out there and it's harmful. And yeah, like you're going to have to do a little bit of digging. And for the part of us, the content creators, we're going to have to be more stringent and do more work and put our best foot forward. So I, I think it's important. And I think it was important to talk about. But what do you guys think about rumors and leaks? Are you just getting tired of them altogether? Or do you think that there's still a lot of fun, interesting, speculative conversations to be had within the video games industry? Let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at All In Podcast. And do join the conversation over on our Discord server. ton of amazing, interesting topics going on and being discussed uh, in the Discord server. So go ahead and check that out. And while you're doing that, do please like and subscribe to All In a Nintendo Podcast on whatever service you happen to be listening to us on, whether it be iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or SoundCloud. And again, also, don't forget to check out the YouTube channel. Gamer Glossary will be back up in full force starting this coming Monday. And also, Seth does a little thing called Keep Nintendo Weird that I guess you can check out. Yeah, why not? While you're there. Yeah, I guess, you know, if you got a minute. But once again, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us each and every Saturday and making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. And it really isn't just a plug to try to get you guys to join our social media and to try to jump on our Discord channel because we actually get into some really interesting conversations with a lot of our friends over Twitter and over Discord. As a matter of fact, our friends over at the Nintendo Pals decided to throw down the gauntlet this past week. 
Now, when it comes to The Legend of Zelda, it feels like every time a new Legend of Zelda game comes out, there are questions about which games are the best and, you know, which games are are better for what reasons. And recently, in episode 44 of the Nintendo Pals, they decided to tier list the Legend of Zelda series. And... They decided to throw down the gauntlet, like we said, to us over social media and Discord. And we thought it would be a good idea to really show them how it's done (laughs) this week in our top five. Yes, our buddies Andros and Micah over at the Nintendo Pals podcast. Uh, yeah, they threw down the gauntlet, man. I mean, look, they, they the big focus of the debate was Ocarina of Time and Wind Waker. And then it was it, it kind of turned into, we would love to hear All Ends list. And here at All End, we produce a weekly top five. So, I mean, it seemed like peanut butter and chocolate. And when it comes to The Legend of Zelda, you and I both love this series. And this is my favorite video game series of all time. So, I mean... There, there was no question in my mind for for the folks for the community. It is time to rank the Zelda games this week in our top five. I am so excited. I am too, and certainly we are never one to shy away from a challenge, despite right. the Herculean feat that it was to actually try to to rank some of the greatest adventure games ever made. But we have done it through blood, sweat, and tears. Several games entered the Thunderdome. Only a few were able to survive. And those games are the ones we're about to feature for you right now. And we're actually going to start with my top five. And starting with my number five, I am going with the original. The Gold Cartridge, the first ever battery save video game ever created. The original The Legend of Zelda. Classic. I mean, yeah, it's an absolute classic. Uh, Obviously, it gets a ton of points for creating the franchise, but not just creating the Legend of Zelda franchise, not just for that fun little trivia bit of being the first video game ever with a battery save, but for really creating a solid template for just about every adventure game moving forward. Because you, you can still see the DNA of that original Legend of Zelda game in so many different games across so many different genres, structurally and mechanically. Even when you look at, you know, some of the newer games, stuff like the Uncharted series and Red Dead Redemption, and even the newer Legend of Zelda games, obviously, there's just so, so much of that original DNA. And even looking back on the original Nintendo release of The Legend of Zelda, Uh, Yes, it has certainly been very dated at this point, but still there is just, you know, a timeless quality to it. There are a few games from that era that just are still playable, that just still immediately come off as all-time classics. And the original Legend of Zelda is forever going to be one of the greatest games ever made. Now, going into my number four, you know what? Consoles have given us some of the greatest games of all time, but you absolutely cannot discount the contributions of the handheld market. I mean, you could very well make the case that Pokemon saved Nintendo. I mean, that's, that's definitely a discussion for another day, but in my mind, like that's a very solid argument. And Pokemon of course was primarily a handheld franchise for decades. There have been a ton of all time classics on handheld devices and you know just like the original legend of zelda did for console adventure games 
Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening, specifically Link's Awakening DX on the Game Boy Color, really mm-hmm. took the original and perfected what is certainly on the short list of greatest handheld adventure games of all time. It is, I mean, there was a reason that they decided to remake it a couple of years ago on the Nintendo Switch and that adorably cute plastic toy aesthetic that they did. And so good. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's fantastic. It is the Legend of Zelda on a handheld device. And the fact that they were able to originally release that when they did back in the early mid 90s, the fact that they were able to take a formula from a game that may show up a little bit later in my list and adapt that to the original Game Boy and then ultimately to the Game Boy Color is kind of crazy. Obviously, they did have to make some adjustments going from a six-button controller to a two-button setup on the original Game Boy. But given everything that they were able to do with Link's Awakening, it is fantastic. As a matter of fact, we did a full retrospective on Link's Awakening a while back. You should definitely go check that out. The story of that game is absolutely fascinating in and of itself. Yeah, that retrospective was early on in the show's run. That's actually back on episode eight, if you want to go back and listen to that. Oh, wow. Was it that long ago? Wow. So good, though. Yeah, definitely go back and check out our retrospective on Link's Awakening. But going into my number three, you know we're talking about some of the greatest games of all time. You know we're talking about some of the true gaming goats when my number three is Breath of the Wild. Mm Mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild still on the short list of best reviewed games of all time on Metacritic. It is just it, it it was such an expansion to the series. They took the the Legend of Zelda formula, the Legend of Zelda structure and just exploded it out into this massive open world map that you can sink literally hundreds of hours into. I do have to knock the game a few points because of the Korok seeds. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's just... Uh, I, mm, mm. But I, you really can't take away from the fact that, again, it is one of the greatest games ever made. Just the implementation of the stamina meter of coming across any piece of the landscape. And if you have enough stamina, if you have powered Link up enough... Like it, It's so great how organically it does it to where you come across these massive mountains, these huge pieces of landscape, and you're like, when I power up Link enough, I'm going to come back to this and I'm going to conquer this. Just how many different you know, p- uh, parts of the map are inaccessible at first. Right. However, it's a lot of the times you don't even need to power Link up. You just need to find a long way around. There's just so many different ways to traverse this map the size of the map the stamina mechanic it just there were so many things to love about this game yes also you know the the fight against ganon at the end i think might have been a little anticlimactic for a few people it was a little bit anticlimactic for me which is why breath of the wild isn't in my top two but ultimately still it's It was 150 hours for me of just a constant smile of incredibly sharp, incredibly tight mechanics in an open, vibrant, wonderfully realized version of Hyrule against Calamity Ganon. And just 99.9% of this game worked absolutely flawlessly. And considering the scope and breadth 
of Breath of the Wild, that in and of itself is staggering. And Breath of the Wild 2, or whatever it's going to wind up being called, if it's Breath of the Wild 2 Skyward Sword, yeah. it that cannot come soon enough. I absolutely want to jump back into this version of Hyrule and drop another 150 or 200 hours into, and I want to see Longhaired Link. I'm really interested yeah, to see Longhaired Link. It's Wand of Gamelon too, by the way. It's well, that's we, right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> we we broke that story a while back. I forgot about that. Yeah, hot breath, news. Yeah, breath Breath of the Wild two, Wand of Gamelon two. But for my number two, uh, I think a lot of people are going to be wondering where this particular game shows up. I think a lot of people were thinking that it was going to be within the top two, and sure enough, it is my number two. When you talk about the greatest games of all time. For a lot of people, for a large part of the video game audience, it's just kind of understood that one of the greatest games of all time and arguably the peak of the Legend of Zelda franchise is the all-time N64 classic Ocarina of Time. Oh, yeah. And 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 it absolutely is. Just like the original Legend of Zelda revolutionized and perfected you know, the adventure formula for that era, Back in the mid-90s when video games were taking the leap into the third dimension and there were a ton of growing pains jumping into that third dimension. Like you guys, growing growing up when video games were trying to come into the third dimension, trying to figure out how to navigate that third dimension, that was a very difficult time for developers. Well... And I say awkward, it was awkward for the vast majority of us. But you know, when you're growing up, there always just seems to be those one or two kids that somehow going through puberty just makes them even better. Like, not only do they not have to go through all this awkward phase, like, it just seems that going through puberty helped them in some way. That's really what it felt like for Nintendo. Because between Super Mario 64 and Ocarina of Time, there really was no awkward growing pains for Nintendo during the 3D era. They absolutely hit the ground running with two of the greatest 3D games ever made right as 3D games were even starting to become a thing. And just like you can see the DNA from the original Legend of Zelda in many games today, a lot of the mechanics and a lot of the ideas that were initially implemented in Ocarina of Time are similarly still being used in many video games to this day. It is just an absolute triumph in every respect. It remains, I think, the actual greatest reviewed game of all time it's up there for sure yeah, yeah. It's, on, it's on the short list if it's not number one it's still on the short list of the greatest reviewed games of all time i think it had an average review score of 9.8 or something just an absolute masterpiece in every respect and i mean i've got to give it its due however in my opinion it's not the best for my number one i'm actually going with The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past on the Super Nintendo. I'm choosing The Link to the Past for a couple reasons. One, I mean, when it comes to Zelda, the mechanics are all working perfectly. The structure is all meticulously designed down to the most minute aspect of each and every side quest, down to the most minute aspect of each and every quarter heart that you can find on the map. And everything is just honed to an absolute diamond shine. But there are a couple things that I just really, really like about A Link to the Past that put it 
just a tad over Ocarina of Time for me. One, the playability. Don't get me wrong. I love Ocarina of Time. It is this sweeping, epic adventure story. But there is certainly something to be said for a game that you can just jump into and start playing. And Link to the Past has only a couple lines of opening dialogue. And then you are just thrust directly into the game. There is certainly story there, but... It absolutely puts the game itself front and center. You are very rarely interrupted in your quest. And that just creates this this immense playability to the game. It's not something... There are so many adventure games and RPGs that it takes a while to just get into. But The Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past is something you can almost literally just jump in and immediately start playing. And the size of it also helps its replayability in my mind. There are a lot of Zelda games like you're not going to replay Breath of the Wild too many times. You probably won't replay Ocarina of Time too many times throughout the course of your life. But I, I have replayed A Link to the Past probably eight or nine times. And that's coming from somebody who doesn't really replay games. The playability and the replayability, the fact that you can just jump in, the fact that everything just feels so good and there's such a great pace to the game. Yes. I mean, in addition to the perfect diamond shine that the mechanics and the structure have, the quick pace and the fact that you're so very rarely interrupted with the story, it's just one of the most playable and replayable games that... I've maybe ever played maybe the most playable and replayable game that I've ever played. And the last thing that kind of puts it over Ocarina for me is the fact that yes, Ocarina is an all time classic, but the one thing that even Nintendo couldn't shy away from was the fact that those original 3d poly models back in the PlayStation slash N64 era, those are looking really dated these days, especially compared to a lot of the newer 3d titles. But that pixel art, that gorgeous, vibrant pixel art aesthetic that many of the Nintendo and Super Nintendo games have, it still looks great to this day. You could drop a game identical to The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, and it would still be a game of the year contender right now. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, yeah, it, and for my money too, a lot of Super Nintendo games still look better than games releasing today. So yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, you know, a lot of people might, you know, accuse it of looking like an indie game, you know, something that Nintendo is well aware of after the past couple of weeks, especially after E3. But I mean, it's still just a fantastic. I, I, it's a goat. I, that's that's all there is really to it. Link to the past, for my mind, is just the goat in a series of goats. It's just this massive pasture of goats. And Link to the Past is the biggest <laughs> goat in the middle of all these other goats wearing its big goat crown. <laughs> You're not wrong. That That's not an inaccurate statement. <laughs> that's, that's something that I think should be stated too. Uh, just before I get into my uh, top five, it, it's, I mean, this series, it, it is my favorite video game series for a reason. I mean, half of the released titles in this series, if not more than half, could probably legitimately be in the conversation for like the top 50 video games of all time. Yeah. Like honestly, um, they're all, I, I, there's never been a, a flat out bad Zelda game in my opinion. Um, so (laughs) wand of Camelot. 
<laughs> even that has its charms, right? <laughs> but Does like, it? Yeah, like there, there's. I mean, look, if, you're gonna sit here and tell me right now that if that released on the eShop tomorrow, oh, day one purchase, absolutely day one purchase, one thousand percent. So yeah, but and so and I'm referring to the mainline series, of course. But yes, semantics, whatever. I, I think that the core Zelda series is just a series of of heavy hitters, um, almost completely throughout some of the greatest games of all time. Um, of course, there are some oddballs, you know, like you're not going to see Triforce Heroes on either of our top fives. Right? No. That's just not going to happen. But that game is still good fundamentally. Um, but to kind of like get my list started, um, it's actually interesting looking at, at our two lists. And we'll certainly get into this. But there's not a whole lot of shared DNA, which I think is really interesting. My number five is something that appeared on your list. My number five is Link's Awakening. Mm-hmm. My number four. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean, I just to echo what you said, I mean, that's a fantastic game that just made a little pocket world for you to explore. And it's it's almost impossible to recapture that feeling of Link's Awakening because that that was kind of a revelatory moment for me of like, like, oh my goodness, like I have a Zelda game in my pocket. I've got a little world in my pocket. I mean, yes, there are things like Pokemon and things that have kind of like improved on that and re-revolutionized uh, that format. But to have a Zelda game in my pocket was mind-blowing to me. And I and I love that game still to this day. I mean, the Switch remake of that game just still proves how rock-solid that game's formula is, how affecting the story of it can still be. So yeah, it's it, despite the fact it was a handheld game, I would argue objectively it has the greatest plot point in the history of the Zelda franchise. It's certainly up there. It's it's really good. It's it's and it's excellent. It's like just the right length too. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It, it lets you kind of like get to know those characters. I, I love Link's Awakening. And yeah, again, uh, back on episode eight, we did that retrospective. Go back and check that out. Uh, getting to my number four, this is going to be a controversial one. I feel like my list in general is probably going to be pretty controversial, and this may this may spawn a whole other Discord and Twitter conversation. And this indeed is an opinion that I've caught a lot of flack for over the years. Um, my number four is a link between worlds. <gasps> and here's here's my thing about a link between worlds, a link to the past. I, I'm in complete agreement with you. It is a phenomenal Zelda game. Uh, as somebody who prefers 3D Zeldas to 2D Zeldas, uh, you know, like even for me, A Link to the Past, it's wonderful. It's a classic, but it doesn't quite live up to 3D Zelda. I just like that style better, personally. Um, however, when it came to A Link Between Worlds, which for all intents and purposes is a spiritual successor to A Link to the Past, and in fact, in Japan, it's literally called A Link to the Past 2. <laughs> so um, they're, they're not making any secret about that. A Link Between Worlds, for my money, even though it is the newer game, it doesn't have the legacy of A Link to the Past, A Link Between Worlds really perfected that formula for me. The design philosophy of A Link Between Worlds is so brilliant, and I don't think that I've seen a game tackle it quite as well. The item rental system that is in place in A Link Between Worlds, giving you a wide open scope. The fact that you can tackle those dungeons in the order that you want, and you can take those items in in the order that you want, I was so freeing and so impressive from a design standpoint. 
I actually couldn't believe it. Like when I was playing it, I was like, how in the world did they pull this off? Um, there, there's an argument to be made about like it being a little bit repetitive. It follows a lot of the same uh, beats that a link to the past does. But for me, when I played that game, I was like, in so many ways, I think that this is actually the superior game. Um, so that's my hot take. I've mm-hmm. caught, I've caught, caught a lot of flack for that over the years and I probably will still today, but, uh, that's, that's my hot take. My number three is the wind waker. Ah. I love wind waker. I love it so much. There's no question. Uh, the, the whole argument, right. That, that spawned kind of the conversation was Ocarina of time versus wind waker. Mm-hmm. And I I've said my piece about wind waker. I think that it's does a lot of things better. I, I mean, these are apples and oranges, right? These are both like 10 out of 10s. The, these are some of the greatest video games ever made. But for me, Wind Waker's combat is some of my favorite in the entire series. Honestly, maybe even beyond Breath of the Wild, which is way deeper. There's something about Wind Waker's combat that is so like cinematic. The way that the camera closes in, the punchiness, the musical notes that play when you land those attacks... Like something about Wind Waker's combat just feels so climactic and just so like up close and personal. I love it. The story of Wind Waker is phenomenal. Like one of the best stories of the entire series. The art style, of course, is gorgeous. I, I love the the cell shaded look. It's it's timeless. It holds up immaculately well today. Um, the music is wonderful. I, the dungeons are admittedly one of my one of my least favorite aspects of Wind Waker. I think the dungeons are not as good as some of the other games in the 3D Zelda series, but still, that that's really my only minor complaint. Um, and then you know, there's a lot to be said about like, oh, the the traversal on the boat is cumbersome. I, I've never agreed with that. Oh, the Triforce collecting was annoying. I've never really agreed with that either. But then they of course fixed that a lot with Wind Waker HD. Um, so, you know, th- those, those complaints exist, but for me, I've, I've just always loved wind waker. There's a lot of revisionist history now about wind waker, but I've always loved that game. And that that's a very special game to me. Number two, this is where I put breath of the wild. Uh, I think breath of the wild is phenomenal. And that original legend of Zelda game for NES was the first video game I've ever played an extraordinarily special game to me. But Breath of the Wild and, and literally had its genesis essentially as a mod for Zelda 1. They It is the, the perfect realization of the ideas that Zelda 1 put in place. The completely open exploration, the freeform mechanics of like just you could do practically anything you want in that world. Um, the story, I think, is really strong. I, I agree with your complaints. I, I think that the the way that the Ganon fight is handled is a little annoying, um, potentially a little anticlimactic. But, uh, I mean, just a phenomenal game. That, that game, the fact that it worked as well as it did is a miracle. Like, that game is miraculous and how <laughs> good it is. Uh, it really is. And I just absolutely love Breath of the Wild. And then number one, it's going to surprise nobody if you've listened to me talk on this show. Uh, you probably know that pr- maybe my favorite game of all time is my number one, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Of course. Um, and, and the reason for that, and I've, I've, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it because I've talked at length about why I love Majora's Mask so much. Um, it's the themology. It's the individualized stories. It's the takedown of what it is to be like a video game hero. 
Uh, it is the introspectiveness, the darkness, the creepiness, um, the dungeons, I think are some of the strongest of the series. The, the music I think is the strongest of the series. The, uh, the boss fights are excellent. I just, that game is such a Titan of game design for me. And there's a lot to be said. I mean, when I was a kid and I talked about this, actually, that's another retrospective we've done mm-hmm. is for Majora's Mask with a super MC gamer of Zeldathon fame. We had a great retrospective uh, when he was on the show way back on episode 20 of the show. And um, just a just a great retrospective for a great game. And, and I, I go into detail there and why the game is so special as well. But I mean, that game just fires on all cylinders for me. And there's a lot to be said about the day cycle, the three day, you know, time limits, but that, that is so part and parcel to what makes that game so special for me. The inevitability of it all, the fact that you can't save everyone. I mean, I can go on and on about that game, but um, it's very, very special to me. And it's a game that has followed me through my life in terms of like when I was a kid playing that game, I talked about this in the retrospective, but I didn't like it. I, I fell into that camp of people that don't like Majora's Mask, and it wasn't until I was an adult looking on it with fresh eyes that it just completely, I mean, it left me shaken after I finished it. I was like, my goodness, like this game just knocked my socks off when I played it on 3DS. So uh, yeah, that's that's my number one and, and maybe my favorite game of all time. Um, so yeah, I I think what's interesting here is we come into this with completely different perspectives with our lists, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think that's really kind of cool. I think that that really <laughs> speaks to the quality of the Zelda series that you can look at it with different lenses and differing opinions and everybody kind of brings a little bit of themselves into the way they view these games. I, I really dig that. Well, I mean, just look at our number ones. I chose mm-hmm. Link to the Past because of how easy it is to jump into the game and because it's so ridiculously playable and replayable. And your number one was basically the antithesis yeah. to that because Majora's Mask is a very deliberate game. Maybe the most deliberate game in the Zelda franchise because of all the pre-planning and all the, you know, all the extra steps that you have to go through to accomplish even the most menial things in that game because of the three day cycle. So, you know, I chose my number one for basically the completely opposite reasons that you chose your number one for. Yeah. Which is fascinating, right? Cause yeah, I mean, you're right. Like everything in Majora's mask requires that you give it your all and it's not a pick up and play you know, easy experience. And, and I agree. That's another thing that I love about a link to the past, but yeah, the complete opposite is why I love Majora's mask. That, that's, that's just fascinating. I just love the fact that one of the games that most people just consider objectively as, Oh yeah, it's just one of the greatest games of all time. Ocarina of time wasn't even in your top five. Yeah, it's not. And, and I mean, like that's, that's something that I, I would probably get a lot of flack for. I think that Ocarina of time, you cannot take away its legacy. And I think this is a big difference between the way you and I approached our list also is that I, I really kind of, when, when I look at these games and I, I think this is, is as a result of me just like loving the series so much. And, and I, I feel like I grow with it. And so I really try to like, I guess look at it from a standpoint of removing the legacy and the, icon status of some of these games because you it is undeniable that ocarina of time is one of the most important video games ever made 
undeniable. Absolutely. And I, I'm not going to argue the quality of that game either, because that, again, it's a 10 out of 10, like that, that game, these games are all amazing, but to me, and again, I, I know this is something that a lot of people will disagree with and, and a lot of people will, will give me crap for, but I find that game compared to every other game on my list. I, I don't find it as interesting. Did it lay the groundwork? Sure. You know, of course. And wasn't important and groundbreaking at the time? Yes. But when I look at it, you know, comparative to every other entry in my favorite game of all time, or my favorite series of all time, I compare it differently than its legacy and its status. So that, that's kind of my approach to it. Um, I still love that game. Don't get me wrong. I still love it. <laughs> it's, but it's not in my top five. Yeah, for me, like you said, legacy personally for me is a is a big part. And this is something that I specifically told Andros over on Discord is the fact that even when you are judging a game based on its own merit, and this is the wording I used, even when you're judging a game based on its own merit, quote, its own merit, end quote, I think should still be the innovations that that game brings to the table, not just for its franchise, but for the industry as a whole. Because- right those were a big part of that game when it came out. I mean, yes, you can still talk about a game and how well it's aged or how well it didn't age, but the impact that a game had based on its innovations and based on the new things that it brought to the table should absolutely be taken into account in my mind in terms of the game's reception. So that's one of the reasons that I chose Ocarina. It's one of the reasons that I chose the original Legend of Zelda, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, Legacy is a big deal. The impact and the influence that a game has should still be part of, should still be a part of that game. And the the impact and the influence are certainly unequivocally there in a lot of the entries on my list. Yeah, and, and, let's, and let's take a second, guys, to acknowledge the fact that uh, we're not jumping down each other's throats. We're not saying, oh, you're clearly wrong. You're awful. And your, your list sucks and this, that, and the other, because th this, you know, it's, it's different approaches to the same problem. I, I think that is something. And again, I'll, I'll just, I'll just beat this down one more time. The fact that Zelda can pass through all of these different lenses is one of the reasons I think this series is so special. My favorite Zelda game is going to be different from yours. It's going to be different from Andros's or Micah's or whoever, and, and I, I think that is one of the things that I love so much about it. You could say a similar thing about the Mario series. So, I mean, that's, that's something that is special about Nintendo. We bring our own perspectives into it. And that's something that I think should be celebrated, not, uh, not looked down upon. But what about you guys? Obviously, we had very different top fives. But what about all of you? We talked about joining the conversation. We would love for you guys to join the conversation. Let us know what you think the greatest Zelda games of all time are. So do that. Join us on Facebook. Join us on Twitter. Join us on Discord. And let us know what your favorite Zelda games ever are. And if I may point folks to the YouTube channel as a, uh, as a supplement to this top five, because I love Zelda so much and because this is a series in which I have actually played every game in the series, which is ridiculous considering how big it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to point folks to the YouTube channel because tomorrow I will be uploading a video of me actually ranking every single game in the legend of Zelda series. Now that's not going to be like the official all in ranking. It's just going to be my opinion. And I'm going to talk through uh, all of my choices and why they're being ranked the way they are. 
But yeah, if you want to uh, hold me under the microscope and uh, flame me in the comments, uh, yeah, definitely go over to the YouTube channel and check that out. And speaking of The Legend of Zelda, in our indie showcase this week, we're actually going to be talking about a game that specifically references The Legend of Zelda as one of its major inspirations and influences, among many other games. And we're certainly going to get into that when we speak with the game's creator, Conrad Grindheim. And um, yeah, just a, just a fascinating game that we're really looking forward to. So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and talk about it. Let's welcome Conrad to the show right now, and let's talk about our indie showcase this week, The Outbound Ghost. Dear listeners, we are super excited to be hanging out with our very special guest this week. He is the creative force behind Con Radical Games, and his upcoming game, The Outbound Ghost, is currently live and is enjoying great success over on Kickstarter. So please welcome all in right now, Conrad Grindheim. Yay! Thanks for having me. <laughs> great introduction. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today, bud. How you doing? Yeah, doing well. Um, it's a bit warm over here, but nothing too unbearable. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's everywhere that's yeah. everywhere right now <laughs> yeah that's yeah. one of the things we were just talking about is i just transplanted my entire life down to florida so I, hot oh, is wow. uh, i guess gonna have to be my new norm now i see yeah that's not great especially in this middle of summer <laughs> point. yeah well we're, we're super happy to have you on the show man uh we're, we're really looking forward to the outbound ghost um it's i mean it's really kind of uh, captured our imagination since since seeing it there. I think I first saw it during a wholesome games direct, and mm, yeah. you know all the stuff going on with the Kickstarter. I mean, it's it's been awesome to kind of follow the game's journey. And and I guess the just to to, to set the stage for us, Conrad, how do you describe the Outbound Ghost? So it's um it's kind of weird just because it doesn't fit into like a neat category. So how I like to describe it is it's kind of Paper Mario if it met Undertale, um, or more so than Undertale, like Undertale's philosophy of how um the developers of that game kind of approach the gameplay i guess um so there's a lot of variation in gameplay it's not like you have this core set of mechanics like this core battle system that's static and it never changes and you just kind of go through the game um so i, I like to like adapt that fluid battle system from undertale and implement it into the outbound ghost and apply it to all sorts of um, gameplay systems, not just the battle system. Right. Yeah. It's it certainly has a a kind of unique take on all that stuff, and it it really is kind of striking. There are not too many games where the protagonist is a ghost. I, I can only think of mm. a few off the top of my head. I mean, how did the how did the sort of like premise of the game take shape in your head, and, and kind of like walk me through that pro? How did you kind of arrive at the outbound ghost? Yeah. So it's uh it's honestly a really uh long story because <laughs> it started as something completely different it was a, a pixel art sort of rpg ish thing um like a t- like mm-hmm. not even 3d at all so it was just like a your traditional pixel art um, top-down graphical style and my intention was to make a game based on um this idea of um helping other ghosts go to the afterlife so uh my main inspiration mm-hmm. behind that concept which is kind of the core pillar of the whole game is uh dragon quest 9 so i really like that game it's it's an rpg oh, right yeah and so in in the start of that game you play as an angel who is like the i guess the protector of a sort of village the garden angel of a village and you're supposed to like help the people who are there but not only the alive ones but also the dead ones that are, have not been able to go to heaven and so the way you do that is through helping them quell I guess the turmoil they have from their past lives because otherwise they would have already ascended. And so that's basically ripped directly from 
the beginning of Dragon Quest IX. And I felt like, you know, that's just the beginning of the game. They don't really play with it anymore uh, past the first couple of hours. And I just wanted to really expand on that. And that's kind of how it started in terms of story. And then the graphical style evolved uh, very drastically over uh, maybe the year and a half since I started developing it. And so it started as a top-down pixel RPG, as I mentioned. Um, that wasn't really an RPG. Like, it looked like an RPG, but it wasn't an RPG. Um, it was just like an, ex- an exploratory sort of game, kind of like how it is now, but with even less gameplay variations. Um, so it was that. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to make it 3D because I really like Octopath Traveler, uh, the mm-hmm. graphical style of it, and it had come out uh, recently. And so I changed it to that, and then it kind of looked like Paper Mario, and a lot of people online were saying, this looks like Paper Mario. And I was like, you know, I think... Pure Mario graphical style would uh, be really awesome, and I, fi- I feel like um, it communicates better what the game is than an Octopath Traveler sort of style. So I just kind of went with that, and it turned out um, to be a really good decision. So that's kind of where I am now. Yeah, and I mean, anybody who really looks at the game, I mean, just like you were talking about when you decided to switch over the graphical style, and everybody already started to mention the Paper Mario uh, comparisons mm-hmm. and of course you specifically mentioned Undertale comparisons and Dragon Quest comparisons and all these comparisons to RPG series. So yeah. was was making it an RPG, was that just something that from the beginning like you really wanted to create that style of game? Granted, yes, the Outbound Ghost is going to be very genre bending, especially with a lot of the core mechanics and a lot of the variety you have in place. But a role-playing game and RPG was that kind of always always the end goal for you regardless of what else changed yeah i mean i guess it depends on what you consider an rpg like i don't know if you consider zelda an rpg i feel like it's more of like an action adventure game um but -hmm, the initial concept was um in Link's awakening you have the item quest right so you go to an npc you get an item and you got to find another npc who could get use of that item and you just get another item in in return for that and just kind of go around the world exchanging art items and these items were supposed to represent like the turmoil of each character in the game. And so you were rescuing, um, or not rescuing, you were helping these characters ascend to the afterlife through exchanging these items. So it was more Zelda-y than RPG um, near the beginning. And then it just like kind of slowly drifted more into um, the Undertale-ish sort of game that it uh, is now. But it was more Zelda-inspired before as opposed to RPG, yeah, gameplay-wise. Yeah, but there's a, an incredibly interesting sequence where... You know, I, I don't want to spoil too much, but this is something that uh, you show off in your Kickstarter pitch video is this sequence where mm-hmm. you're helping another character through these stages of grief. And it's done through a very Undertale style uh, yeah. setup. So in terms of taking those ideas and applying them to what you're doing, how was it always something where you knew you wanted to try to use something in some way or? Did you just look at something, look at an idea and look out somewhere else and be like, oh, I think that idea, if implemented in this way, would work perfectly for what I'm trying to do? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, so my intention with the gameplay of the game was to make it tie into the story at all times in some way. So um, the sequence that you were mentioning um, is a perfect um, example of that. Um, I didn't want it to just be a battle system or like, I didn't want the game to just have a battle system for the sake of having a battle system. It had to yeah. like represent something in the story. And so the lockpicking, for example, there's like a lockpicking mini game in the game that isn't yeah. um, so much tying into the story, but I guess it gets you more immersed in the world because you're actually, instead of, Oh, there's a cutscene you're lockpicking. You're actually doing what your own character is supposed to de- uh, be doing. 
So I wanted to make all the gameplay tie into the actual story in that way. And so I, I actually hadn't even thought of the game being like Undertale at the beginning uh, when I had morphed into this more RPG style game. Um, but one day I was like, somebody said, this is like Undertale. And I was like, wow, yeah, uh, it actually really is. So I, I think more recently I've been looking at that game more as inspiration, whereas before I wasn't. So um, I still really stand by the fact that all gameplay mechanics should uh, tie into the story. Uh, but now it feels a bit easier because if there's something that I don't know how to do, so if I don't know how to uh, adequately, um, what's the word, represent the... Uh, emotions of our character in a battle for example um now i can actually look at undertale and see how they did it and so i can get more direct inspiration as opposed to trying to figure it out all on my own so i can build the game on like the shoulders of giants if you will yeah yeah no totally that that definitely comes through and i mean you've already you know cited these these you know classic games dragon quest zelda undertale paper mario i mean Definitely um, good, good influences. Something that kind of really impressed me. I, I played through your demo and um, and I, I was really impressed by just how much gameplay variety there is, like even just mm-hmm. in the in the framework of the demo. I mean, you're doing everything from your your digging, your warping around, your lock picking. I even found the puzzle box, which I didn't realize oh, was yeah. a direct reference to a previous yeah. game. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> so that was cool and so i guess was that kind of a big focus for you gameplay variety and, and can we expect to see even more variety in the final game yeah so for sure there is going to be a lot of um gameplay moments kind of like the lock picking um mini game or the um the puzzle that you mentioned the zero box one that's like a tie back to my previous game but something that i really want to do as well is build upon the battle system that i presented uh, when you do um, the conversation with Shirley. And so I felt like it, it, it was a cool concept, but I, I just want to push it further and make it more, um, make it a better canvas for showing what the characters are feeling at the moment, including the main character. Um, and so I haven't, or like, I guess when I say including the main character, I want you to be able to represent um, or role, role play the character in the battle system so that, the actions that you take in battle indirectly affect the outcome of certain situations, um, kind of like Undertale, but more cryptically. It's not just like, oh, well, I'm going to kill this guy instead of uh, talking to him. It's going to be more right. um, kind of like the adaptive difficulty of uh, one of the Resident Evil games. I think it was Resident Evil 2. Okay. So that, mm. I, don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I've never played Resident Evil. I've just heard about it. But it, it kind of, if I were to make a direct <laughs> comparison, it would be like that. I'm too much of a baby for a horror, horror game, so I can't do that sort of stuff. <laughs> that's funny. I I mean, coming from the guy who's making a game about a the ghost. About ghost, mean, yeah, that's exactly I, what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but it's no horror, right? Just just fun, cute little ghosts, right? <laughs> exactly. It, it was interesting to me that the main character is actually, um, like you named, the, it's not like a, a character as much as it is like, I guess supposed to represent the player. Like you, you can put in your mm-hmm. own name or, or name the character however you want. I found that interesting. Was there was there ever kind of a moment where that shift happened for you? Were you always trying to make it a situation where the player imprints themselves or or plays that role in the protagonist versus a kind of like set character like Mario or Link? Um. So basically, um, that's how it was going to be originally. It was just going to be this character that you play and you play through their story. 
and their story is just kind of there and it's preset. Um, but then at one point I was, so the whole, I've, I've created all the story for the game already. It's already decided. Um, I just haven't implemented it all. And right. as I was writing it, which was a couple months ago, there was just this really powerful moment story-wise that I just could not give up. And it would be so much better if the character was actually you. Um, or And I feel like the themes of the game um, kind of point, point um, towards the direction of um, appreciating like others' outlook on life and um, leaving your mark on the world and stuff like that. And I feel like this one particular gameplay moment, together with the fact that you can name your character, and it is you and not just some blank, uh, well, I guess Mario right. not a blank character, but some like preset character. Like I feel like it was too good to give up, so um, a couple of months ago I made the decision. Yeah. Nice. Well, you talk about you already have the entire story, you have the entire adventure planned out in your head, you just need to implement it. So, uh, I mean, we'll just go ahead and ask about about how big of an adventure can we expect out of the Outbound Ghost? So I was honestly expecting the game to be five hours long uh, by the end of development. Um, but right. I was also expecting mm-hmm. the demo to be 15 minutes long, and it ended up being like 30 to 50 minutes for some people. Uh, so I think I may be underestimating how much um, content, or how much time people sink into the game in order to progress through it. And I think that's mm-hmm. just because when I play the game, I obviously know that what everything's going to happen. So I know where to go and all this sort of stuff. Um, so I thought it was going to be like five hours, but I think it might be leaning more towards eight by the end of it. Um, okay. Yeah. And um, there's going to be some really, really interesting twists toward the end or not even the end towards the middle even. So I'm really excited to show everybody that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're doing some, I mean, there's some interesting story set up. Like again, even in the scope of the, of the demo, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you've, you've got, uh, you've got a good canvas there. And, and I think too, that the gameplay variety probably helps with length because even in the scope of the demo, you can see there's, there's very clearly like a card game that you can participate in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all kinds of little side things. So exactly. Yeah. Is this more or less a game that you think that you're going to try to drive people forward as, you know, kind of a, you know, I, I don't want to say linear, but something that's got a quick pace to it, something that's always moving from one thing to the next? Or are you trying to create more of an experience where people can stop and maybe smell the roses for a second and take part in a few side quests? Yeah. So in the Kickstarter, for example, th- there is a, a tier where you can create your own side quests. Um, so that's yeah. so by default, you know, somebody's going to create a side quest. So uh, there you go. <laughs> Um, but, um, as, as to, uh, stuff that, uh, I create myself in terms of like side activities, um, I have some stuff planned and it just comes down to whether I will have enough time, uh, by the time the development ends. So, uh, I'm, it's going to release next year as month, uh, I'm not going to say the month, but at a specific month. And so if I have enough time before that, um, to add these certain side quests that I have in mind, then I will, if not, I guess I won't. Um, but in the the main quest will be like quite um, not linear, but like quite brisk. And you know, if you want to just progress with the story, you can just do that. And if you just want to engage with some characters on the side, like the card game, uh, you can also do that. Yeah, gotcha. And, and I, I want to point to the to the Kickstarter real quick and, and speak on that a little bit because we've mentioned a couple times the game is currently live with a Kickstarter campaign that has been hugely successful. It was actually fully funded inside of 32 hours. So, I mean, mm. what has that experience been like for you? Yeah, I definitely did not expect that, um, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> uh, and it's really great. Um, 
I, I just graduated university like a month ago or so, and I really wanted to do this full time, oh, wow. and uh, now I can. So that's great. <laughs> well, congratulations on the graduation. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and um, yeah, I also do freelancing on the side, so I was going to be able to do like game development in general full time, but now I can really focus my energy on on this. So that's awesome. That's that's great. And and I mean, with having the demo on Steam launching kind of alongside that uh, and, and mm-hmm. getting, you know, getting the chance to show people what the game is. I mean, you can download it and put your hands on it and play it and kind of get an idea yeah. before backing it. And I, I think that's really smart. I mean, has it also been beneficial for you from like a play testing perspective to to see people putting their, you know, putting their hands on the game. I mean, are there some things that you've kind of learned from that? Yeah, 100%, especially technical things. Um, but mm. surprisingly, so I've got around, I'm looking at right now, 469 backers. Um, I don't even have that many people who have played the demo. So I think most people um, are, um, there's a lot of Switch people that uh, have backed the game. So I think most people are, haven't even been able to try it just because it's only on PC. So that's a, a bit unfortunate, but I can't really do uh, Switch demos. Um, but um, I guess that's uh, something to know for next time. Um, I would have loved for more people that pledged uh, to try it, but yeah, it wasn't really possible. But in terms of um, playtesting, it was so helpful. It was really, really helpful, especially for bugs. There was quite a few bugs near the beginning. Um, <laughs> I mean, I say near the beginning, but it's been like one week. So one particular one is central european people straight up cannot play the game uh and oh, i'm wow. central europe uh, yeah so i'm half spanish half norwegian so i am central european but my computer <laughs> is, on, is in english um so i didn't notice but the problem was that i have my own um cutscene system to make the cutscenes and so for example when i say i want the camera to shift by 1.2 units uh on my computer it reads 1.2 right but then if you're in spain for example where instead of points you have commas to denote decimal places um it's going to read it as 12 units so people um had uh, the camera like glitching out all over the place the characters were moving at different speeds that they were supposed to and it was just kind of a mess for (laughs) this sort of people (laughs) but it was only like so 10 percent of the people that are backing the game are of those territories where the comma um comes into play um and so um i would imagine it's a bit less for the Steam demo. So it wasn't that many people that experienced it and I caught it quite quickly, but it was a very weird experience. I was trying to get people to be like, what was your graphics card? Um, All this sort of stuff. And then eventually I was like, wait, I'm getting this Italian guy. I'm getting this German guy. I'm seeing a pattern here. And um, so eventually I I guess I managed to figure it out, but it was quite an, that's probably the craziest bug I've ever experienced in all my game development, (laughs) I guess, career. And it was, it was really helpful to have somebody to test it, or I guess, Everybody tests it um, because at least I found it now and not when the game launched, you know? <laughs> right. Definitely. I, you know, it, it's funny too, because you, you mentioned here in the Kickstarter uh, campaign page that the soundtrack that is in the demo is mostly placeholder music. And mm-hmm. that kind of blew my mind um, because I, I was actually kind of floored by the soundtrack when I was playing. I was like, this, this is really good stuff. I, so when I when I read that that was placeholder, I was a little bit surprised. And um, yeah. I don't know, could you kind of speak on how how that process is for you, getting the soundtrack together for the game, and what's placeholder and what isn't? So basically, everything is placeholder except the title screen. Um, and um, wow, wow. So the the fact that the placeholder stuff is basically all like from Creative Commons websites and stuff, 
or subscriptions that I have to. It's good. Um, this it's sort of stuff. Really yeah, good. It's, it's really great. But um, I think it's going to be like way better uh, when the placeholder stuff is gone. Like it's great, but the musician that, that is on the team is so fantastic that I have no doubts that he's going to make awesome stuff. And the title screen, I really love it. And I think it just yeah. proves that it's going to be great. And I think we have a, a really good plan for how to uh, pull people's strings. Is that what the expression is? <laughs> uh, tug on heartstrings. There you go. Tug on people's heartstrings sure. with the music. Um, we've got a really cool plan for that. Yeah. Well, speaking of strings, what exactly kind of is your idea, is your plan for for the soundtrack of this game in terms of like motifs and themes and stuff? Yeah, so very Paper Mario inspired. Uh, each character, each important character will have their own theme, for example, and we play with that depending on the situation. And it's just going to be uh, really awesome. I think everybody's <laughs> going to really like it, especially if you already like the placeholder stuff. Yeah, I was I was kind of like shocked to see that it was just placeholder. I was like, man, this is some <laughs> pretty good music. This is kind of giving me like David Wise, Donkey Kong vibes a little bit. I was thinking. <laughs> and then I yeah. looked on the Kickstarter and it's placeholder. I was like, you're kidding. It's really good stuff. <laughs> Well, um, yeah. What's the name of the musician? Uh, so the non-placeholder one is uh, Kimo Savilampi, who has his own game actually as well. And he has awesome music. So if you want to kind of see what his style is, um, if you look up Area Disconnect, um, he has the whole soundtrack on Bandcamp. And it's it's more um, retro, but the... Um, what's the word? I think you can still get an idea for his style because the ga- the music for Outbound Ghost is not going to be... Um, kind of constricted to those retro methodologies. Well, I just wanted to make sure we knew what his name was so that we could look for him uh, for when they start uh, throwing <laughs> out the uh, the soundtrack of the year awards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would be great. I, I think he has it in him, so I can't wait to see what's, what it's going to sound like when it's done. That's awesome. I'll, I'll throw that link um, uh, in the episode description for you guys so you can give that awesome. a look. Uh, we've talked a little bit about how you know, the game was already kind of confirmed for PC and Switch from the start. You've got PlayStation and Xbox versions as stretch goals on the Kickstarter campaign. What Was it important to you to have the game available from Switch from the outset? Yeah, for sure. Before launching the Kickstarter, I was showing it on different places online like Reddit and Twitter, YouTube. And given that it's a Paper Mario looking game, I think it's pretty obvious that Paper Mario uh, fans would be more attracted to it than any other kind of um, right. game fans. Um, so I think it's just, it's like a no brainer, you know, Paper Mario fans want to play this sort of game and I want to, um, get people to play the game. And so it's a perfect match. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. um, switch is the platform that I am prioritizing. And so all the decisions are made with the switch in mind, including like, oh, how big should uh, specific areas be? Cause the switch is quite underpowered. Um, right. so I ran into a lot of problems with like earlier iterations of the game and, um, yeah, so the game should run really great on switch. It should probably be the ideal place to play it. If I'm completely honest. Well, are you having any problems at all? Or is there any challenge at all when you're developing for the switch and for steam concurrently? And I assume you've looked into it, at least obviously PlayStation and Xbox is part of your stretch goals. Mm-hmm. So is that going to be a big challenge for you is developing across all these different consoles and systems? Uh, well, so I'm using Unity, which is a really great uh, game engine, and it's right. probably the best one for cl- cross-platform development. And um, I don't have to rewrite any code or anything. Maybe like change a few things here and there, and developing maybe like a new different save system. But like the core mechanics work across all platforms, and so um, it's been like really great. Like 
for I haven't exported anything to Xbox or PlayStation yet, just because I don't have the dev kits. That's what the stretch goals are for. Um, right. But for Switch, it's it's been like a really great process. I was honestly really surprised with how easy it was to develop for it. Nice. At That's least awesome. without without the, I haven't done all everything yet, but like just getting the game running on the Switch was easier than I expected. Yeah, I, I'm always fascinated too. Um, you say that Switch being kind of like the leading platform, um, is the game going to take advantage of any like Switch kind of exclusive stuff like touchscreen support, HD rumble, things like that? Uh, so no, I don't think touchscreen is going to be a big deal for this game, maybe like for menus or something. Right. But um, I'm already playing with HD rumble stuff, so I guess nice. we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's it's really great to to feel. So that's awesome. That's all. Especially like I can I can just imagine that with the way like the the dash is really satisfying yeah. and stuff like that. Um, you, you've already kind of talked about. I know uh, no specific month. Twenty twenty two is is the the target date. Um, mm-hmm. it, do you? I, I'm sure it's too early to start talking about expansions or sequels or anything like that. But just broadly in your mind, do you see the outbound ghost as kind of a potential series or something you could expand upon? Yeah. So I think the uh, story of like the main character and like, or the main characters, I guess uh, will come to a conclusion in this game, but I have so many ideas for like the, not really the world, but the, I guess the world, not the town of outbound, but like the whole concept of like the ghosts and just everything I can do. Right. With that. So I definitely have a lot of ideas. I just haven't done anything cause I'm just focusing on this, but, um, that's something I'm definitely looking into. And you said a lot of the ideas that you're just trying, uh, that you're just hoping that you have enough time to implement before the game releases next year. If possible, do you think that those could potentially be, you know, like post game patches or possibly even uh, DLC down the line, if you don't have time to implement them before the game's actual release? Yeah. So um, one of the stretch goals, for example, um, which is the one after the PlayStation is uh, I'm just going to read it out a separate side story based on a specific gameplay beat. For example, lockpicking, battling, or Jirabox, community voted. Um, so I guess if, it's probably not going to make the stretch goal because it's a bit of a, a stretch. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I really would like to uh, implement something like this. So maybe it's like you play as a different character and you're just going around lockpicking houses and like the lockpicking minigame is really fleshed out into its own puzzle game. So I would I would really be interested in maybe making like a smaller side game that's like set in the same universe but um lower scope or smaller scope so i would be really interested in that sweet well yeah we're obviously going to point everybody towards the kickstarter campaign where they can go and support the outbound ghost and again you guys can play the demo on steam and and kind of you know get a get a feel for the game are you is there a time limit on that demo or is it going to be kind of available in in perpetuity for people to try out so I, I think it's going to be available until it no longer represents the current state of the game, which uh, might be a couple months, maybe after the Kickstarter ends. Yeah. So you guys definitely have some time to try it. Yeah, and I hope uh, people like it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, no, and we, we did a video on our YouTube channel uh, of, of myself playing through it, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, before we let you go, Conrad, we, we whenever we get the chance to speak with an independent developer, we do have a question that we always like to ask to kind of end on just a fun hypothetical question. If you could make a game based on any Nintendo IP, what would it be? And and what would your approach to that be? That's a really tough one. Um, <laughs> my, my favorite game of all time is uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, but um, mm-hmm. nice. I don't know if I could do it justice. It's just such a good game that I can't pull something like that off. Uh, uh, so I think it's a bit of a, a waste to choose that one. 
Paper Mario would be really interesting. Honestly, I'm like, I'm tempted to say Paper Mario and just like completely making the combat system super deep. Um, I really like um, the combat system from Really Default. That's my favorite combat system of any um, RPG of all time. And I nice. think something like that would fit just really well in Paper Mario. I think that would be really awesome. How how have you um how how did you kind of find just candidly how, how did you play Origami King how how did you find that combat system? So I haven't played Origami King yet, but uh, I played some of the earlier ones when okay. I was younger. Um, so it's mostly from childhood. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, it would be cool to see like a a, a super deep combat system. Yeah. 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 I think from what I remember, the the Thousand Year Door had like like it was nothing wrong with the combat system, but I feel like it just could be much deeper, you know, and I think that would be really cool. Yeah, we, we would like to see that. Maybe one of these days, once the Outbound Ghost becomes, you know, yeah. indie superstar. <laughs> <laughs> outbound Ghost comes out, and then we'll see your name on the next Paper Mario game, and then on Breath <laughs> of the Wild 3. and Wouldn't complain at all, so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Conrad, uh, before before we let you go, where can folks kind of follow you? Obviously, we're going to point them to the, to the Kickstarter. You guys will find links to all this stuff in the episode description, but to, uh, to follow the game and, and the development and what's going on with you, where, where can folks find that? So I guess the two main things I'm focusing right now is apart from the Kickstarter is YouTube and Twitter. So I'm doing uh, weekly devlogs every Friday about the game. So if you want to see behind the scenes stuff about it, um, you can go to my YouTube. It's just Conradical games. And um, Twitter is where I show more by site stuff. So if I make it be add like, Oh, here's the dog petting. Uh, you can see that before anybody else. So <laughs> those two are the best places. <laughs> if you want to see stuff like that. Yes. You can pet the dog in the outbound ghost. Confirmed. Yeah. So, and, and as many times as you want. So that's great. 10 out of 10. I mean, an instant 10 out of 10. <laughs> awesome. Well, Conrad, thanks so much. Let's roll out the red carpet one last time. You guys will find links to all that stuff. Support the outbound ghost on Kickstarter. One last time, Conrad Grindheim. Yay! Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome, bud. Thanks for uh, taking some time out of your day. Yeah, it was, it was a great time. I, I hope um, you guys have a great day as well. So, Well, that was a great conversation with Conrad. I, I've mm-hmm. really been looking forward to that game. I, I really like what I played of the demo. Um, so definitely, guys, again, check out that game on Kickstarter. That's the Outbound Ghost. You're going to find links to all of that in the episode description. Go support yes. Conrad and his game. And, uh, and give it a look. I think it's going to be something to keep an eye on. Yeah, we have a very good history already, albeit a small history, but a very good history with Paper Mario-inspired indie games here on oh, yeah. All. And definitely go check out our indie showcase on Bug Fables from way, way back. Another great Paper Mario-inspired indie gem. And if you play that or you're intending to check out the Outbound Ghosts, let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook at All In Podcast. Reach out to us on Twitter at all in podcast and do join the conversation over on discord. There's a ton of stuff we're talking about over there and we would love for you to be a part of it. And while you're at it, do please like and subscribe to all in a Nintendo podcast, wherever you get your podcasting from, whether it be SoundCloud, Google play iTunes, or even Spotify or even Spotify. And also don't forget to check out the YouTube channel. Again, gamer glossary starting back up this Monday. Also check out Keep Nintendo Weird and all of the wonderful videos that Seth has put up from all these Steam demos and games that he's been diving headfirst into over the past few weeks. Check out all of those. And just one last thank you to each and every one of you. Thank you guys so much for making us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste. And guys, if 
Whew, if I have sounded a little bit erratic in this episode or a little bit all over the place, I am just trying to get used to this Florida sun. The Sunshine State is a very apt nickname for Florida. It legitimately feels closer to the sun down here. And it's kind of got me a little, whoo, if you know what I mean. But <laughs> uh, guys, I have got a few things left to do to finish my move down here to Florida. Seth, maybe you can help me with a few other things, but at the very least, we will catch you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, I have been F0G Eric. And I've been Elite Beat Seth. Yeah, I might have to get you an ice cream sandwich or something, man, to cool off because uh, we got some more stuff to do. Yeah, I got a pool right now. You want to just go ahead go into the pool for a couple hours? Guys, we're going to go to the pool for a couple hours. We'll see you all <laughs> next week. Bye. Bye. Dude, and I'm also two minutes from the Indian River. I'm like 10 minutes from Cannonball!